Hi, this is John. This week on The Cinephiles, Steve and I talk one of our most requested films and one of my personal favorites for decades, 1982's The Thing, directed by John Carpenter. It's an incredible film. It's a remake. Some of you may not know this. It's a remake of a black-and-white film. And, of course, there was a remake of this film, which is considered a prequel that was done with Mary Elizabeth Winstead. But this is the one that stands out of all those films. It's considered one of the greatest sci-fi films ever made, one of the greatest horror films ever made. And it stars Kurt Russell in his full 80s glory, with that incredible mullet and that phenomenal beard. And, of course, Keith David is long for the ride, and a host of other incredible character actors like Wilford Brimley, Richard Dissert, Richard Massour, T.K. Carter. So it's a who's who of character actors all over this film. And when you see it for the first time, I think you'll remember a lot of them from being in other films as well. It's a film that grabs you from the beginning with this pulsing soundtrack and never lets you go until the final moment between Keith David and Kurt Russell. So join us this week as Steve and I tackle 1982's The Thing. Thanks for the preview, John. And don't forget, you can buy The Thing and every movie we've ever reviewed on our website, cinephiles.net. That's C-I-N-E-F-I-L-E-S dot net. It is infinite. Hello and welcome once again to The Cinephiles, where each week we enter the world of a great film. We explore its themes, its history, the filmmaking, and the influence it has on us today. My name is Steve Morris. I'm a filmmaker and directing instructor in Los Angeles, California. Hello, everyone. My name is John Roke. I'm a voiceover artist, uh, host, writer, producer uh, at Collider and uh, on a number of other podcasts. So, yeah, that's my life. (laughs) That's what I'll tell you. That's my life. Um, and today we're doing one of our <laughs> one of our most requested films. Yeah, and in fact, it was requested by two of our Patreon members. This is something that they got from supporting us mm-hmm. on the show. Um, both Claiborne Williams and Stanley Daniels mm-hmm. uh, both requested John Carpenter's 1982, The Thing. Yeah. Um, so first of all, thank you, Claiborne and Stanley. We really, really appreciate your support. Absolutely. And if anyone else wants to pick a movie, you can certainly request things on Twitter. Yeah. We read them. Yeah, sure, we do. But if you want to guarantee that we will do one of your <laughs> films, all you have to do is go to patreon.com slash the cinephiles, just like Claiborne and Stanley did, request a film, and it will absolutely be done on this. Well, we'll you pick five. Yeah. And then we'll pick the one because we need a little bit of uh, yeah, a little wiggle bit of, room. Yeah, a little here. bit of wiggle room just in case. <laughs> just in case. Because yeah. sometimes people have suggested some things that are not John and my thing. Yeah, we're not doing Killer Tomatoes or Return of the Killer <laughs> Tomatoes or anything like that. I one. remember watching that. <laughs> You know, because we only had so many channels, yeah, and yeah. that came on Showtime or whatever. And I, even in 1982 or something, I yeah. knew that was a stupid movie. Well, and before anyone gets worried about us tackling this film, Steve and I both tested our blood with uh, fiery, <laughs> uh, with, a, with, a, with a hot uh, piece of iron. Yeah, and, although uh, no animal, no, no, no alien thing happened. So, we're and yet fine. I, I did go to the bathroom for a minute, and you know, you don't know what might have happened then. That's true. Uh, I'm just oh saying, shit! All right, this is the problem with the thing. Is just stay just, on your side. You of- never. <laughs> <laughs> well, fortunately, we're both wearing flamethrowers and dynamite, so that's I think true, we're going to be true. okay. So we're good, and, with um, big, and big beards. Yeah. Um, so, for those of you who don't know what we're talking about, you need to go watch the thing. And I'll yeah. tell you, the best way to do it is to go to our website, click on the link, and you can buy the thing and every other movie we've ever done yeah. right there from the from cinephiles. 
net. That's C-I-N-E-F-I-L-E-S.net. And now I've done two ads at the beginning of the show. You have. And we don't have to do them at the end of the show. Wow, that's amazing. This makes up for the ads you didn't do at the end of Judgment in Nuremberg. So that's a fair respect, point. Respect. That's a fair point. Well, <laughs> um, you know what? It's always going to be a little different every That's time right. on the Cinephiles. That's what people enjoy about us. Can you tell me how you first came to the thing? Yeah, uh, saw it, uh, what, 1985, 86, at a friend's house on VHS or Beta. And I remember this thing getting its hooks in me for the rest of my life. It was one of the most amazing films that I saw at that time at a young age. Yeah, And it was a film that... Just, I couldn't believe the level of terror and horror uh, mixed in with our own natural suspicions about people. Like, it was just such a brilliant take on on more than just the alien sci- And the best alien sci-fi horror films do that. They kind of echo a little bit of what's going on in the world or what's going on socially in your, con- in, in your life. And so what I enjoyed about the film... I just remember that it the the pulsating soundtrack of it like you never and then nobody knowing who to trust what that would be like especially at a young age when I'm just learning how to build friendships uh, as a young adult like it's interesting to see this whole idea of betrayal and friendship and you know being stuck out in, a, in the snow and I've always loved snow movies so it hit all the right notes for me mm. and the special effects were just to, for lack of a better term out of this world for that time they are out of yeah. this world. Um, so for me, I know we talked about this before that yeah. there were certain times in our lives where both you and I lied about seeing movies, and <laughs> this is one I lied about. Really? Yeah, because um, so I remember Escape from New York, which I watched over and oh, yeah. over and over again, mm-hmm. and this movie was one all my friends quoted, yeah. everyone always talked about, and I always sort of smiled and nodded and even quoted it because I knew the quote so well. <laughs> right. But I actually didn't see it until maybe eighty nine or ninety. Oh wow! Yeah, and okay. when I and it was funny too because I saw it with the same group of friends that had been quoting it the whole time who yeah. assumed that I had watched it before right. and so I had to watch it for the first time and kind of act like it wasn't the first time which <laughs> 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 is a strange you know oh what a tangled web we weave and and so you've really denied yourself a full experience by, well, n- by not letting yourself uh, you know react to the things naturally as you would You're well that's like the story it. of my life I oh mean, there you, you know? go I mean <laughs> okay, you right, know then. part of what makes me good at doing the cinephiles is yeah. not always being 100% in the moment <laughs> Okay. You know, there's some part Fair. of me that's kind of sitting back anyway. Okay. Um, and so I saw it in the late 90s. Of course, I loved it. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't one, unlike Escape from New York and Big Trouble in Little China, the mm-hmm. other two films, two of the, there's there's also Elvis, which is different, oh, that right. John Carpenter did with uh, Kurt Russell. Yes. I didn't know the thing backwards and forwards. And part of that was, I was not really a horror guy. Right. I really liked the movie. Um, but I didn't watch it over and over again. And I probably hadn't seen it. And 10 or 15 years wow. um, until I watched it this week. Well, that's amazing because for me, Big Trouble Little China I've maybe seen twice in my entire See, life. I've seen it like 50 times. Yeah, it's, uh, there are certain movies that appeal to a majority of people that for me, just for whatever reason, don't grab me. Escape from New York I enjoy every once in a while, but it's not one I run back to. But right. The Thing, always. I've seen The Thing probably a thousand times more than I've ever seen Big Trouble or... Escape from New York. There's just something about it that really speaks well, to me. I'll, I'll tell you what's funny watching it this time. Yeah, is I think the thing is a better movie. Yes, it is. I mean, I just it's it is a it's mm-hmm. like Big Trouble in Little China. I love because of the martial arts thing. It right. was the best American martial arts movie, wow. and it dealt with and it had all the 
cliches and silliness right. and it was doing a funny spin on these movies that i obsessively watched right so big trouble in little china was great to watch yeah. and escape from new york was so groundbreaking and weird mm -hmm. and and again we're back in this we only had a few channels so i watched yeah. it every time it was on tv i watched yeah. it over and over again but watching the thing now i'm like no this is a totally different level of a movie mm -hmm. and, and this is something that we're, i think we're going to talk about throughout which is that john carpenter is a genre filmmaker. Yes. He is not like, you know, one a big filmmaker. He likes to be in horror and sci-fi and action yeah. in this low-budget feeling way. Mm -hmm. And what's interesting, and, and I give no disrespect to those genres at all. Like, I think if there's anything you and I want to do on The Cinephiles is give every genre the dis respect that it deserves. Absolutely. And not just go, Lawrence of Arabia is great filmmaking and Escape from New York is crap. Right. You know, that's not how we look at things. Because right. we love those films for the reason that we love those films. Yeah. And, and this film, I think, transcends genre mm -hmm. in that really interesting way, in the same way that maybe a film like Jaws does. Mm -hmm. Or Close Encounters of the Third Kind does. Yeah. You know? I, to me, it's his greatest film. I think I, it is, too. I love Halloween. And Halloween is my second favorite John Carpenter film. But this one still has everything I just love about filmmaking of that particular level. And you're right. There are some filmmakers that are happy. And the thing is, John Carpenter is maybe one moment or two moments per film away from creating B-movies. Yeah. And these are elevated because of his knowledge of this material and his particular ability as a filmmaker to make these kinds of movies that appeal to a mass audience for little to no budget right for a lower budget type movie you know it's i can't i don't know what the budget for this can't have been that much it probably was mostly all special effects it's all set in one area you got the explosions and stuff but it's all in one kind of area so those kinds of same thing with halloween, halloween's like in one neighborhood right it just doesn't occur run well around. the thing is the most expensive movie he had ever made ah um uh, because halloween all these ones before that are really cheap yeah 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 They're, he made cheap you know indie yeah. films yeah and this was, we're going to find out at the end, this was not successful in the box office. Right. This, this, this bombed. This is another one of it, those films that like bombs initially, but picks up life on video. Well, most, I mean, like he, he so let's talk a little bit about John Carpenter. Sure. So he's one of these guys like Steven Spielberg, who started like the Cone brothers, who started making films in his backyard, mm -hmm. shooting Super 8 when he was in junior high. Yeah. You know, made films all through high school, went to USC film school. I think he's there in the late 60s that he's there right at the time that George Lucas and John Milius and oh, wow. those other guys were there, yeah. I think. Um, but I couldn't confirm it. But I'm pretty sure it's right around the same time. He actually drops out. Mm -hmm. He makes a short film right out for film school, which wins the Live Action Academy Award. Huh. Yeah, but the, the movie is called The Res Resurrection of Bronco Billy, which I've heard of and never seen. Okay. Uh, so, I mean, this is that's pretty amazing. It's like 1972 or something. Right. He makes Assault on Precinct 13. Oh, yeah. Good which, film. Which is a really good film. Mm -hmm. Very low budget. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, um, and then he makes a couple of other, I think Dark Star, and then he makes Halloween. Yeah. And Halloween, I mean, that creates a genre. Yeah. Yeah. Which, does Texas Chainsaw Massacre comes out first, I think. 74 is Texas Chainsaw yeah. Massacre. And this so is 78, So I yeah, think. that makes sense. But the, th the thing that he said that I, he said he wanted to give the experience of being in a haunted house in a film. Yeah. Which is these jump scares and, you know, creepy hallways and, mm -hmm. and that. I mean, all of those things are so ubiquitous in horror films today. Mm -hmm. And the whole slasher genre, I mean, I guess we can say it starts with Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Right. But, but Halloween is so important, yeah. you know, in this. And it, it, 
it might be one of the most successful indie films of all time. Yeah, and I don't put it in the same thing with Friday Thirteenth or Freddy uh, right. Krueger, Nightmare on Elm Street. None of those. Like Halloween to me, and the first and second one are both on their in their own box in that yeah. way because of like what you mentioned earlier, Steve, elevating the genre. I think they elevate the genre out of horror there because you don't know where that killer cam- comes from. You don't know why he's doing what he's doing. And it, you don't care. Yep. Like, you don't care. It's so well done that you don't care. And Jamie Lee Curtis is, is fantastic in both of those films. Yeah. Jamie Lee Curtis, I think, is such an underrated actress. Of course. Yeah. Because yeah. she's she's in some of my favorite movies of all time. Uh-huh. Um, uh, some of which which we haven't done one of hers yet. They're, not they're, yet. Oh, I'm not sure which one's going to be first on the list. Trading Place. Yeah. Go ahead. Uh, I mean, done. I will call one. Either one of those two. Either I'm one of those two. Yeah. Uh, at some point, I will even do True Lies, although I think it's a flawed film. <laughs> yes. Right, but but it's, uh, it's the last gasp of Schwarzenegger. Yeah. That's for sure. Um, okay. So uh, he makes Elvis, which I remember watching on TV. Yes. A TV movie. TV movie with Kurt Russell he playing Elvis. He was great Elvis. as Elvis. He was great. Um, I... I Honestly, I haven't seen it since I was a kid, but I remember loving it. Oh, I see it every three or four years. That and yeah. Jesus of Nazareth. Those are those two TV right. movie ones that I watch all the time every wow. three or four years. And so it holds up. It holds up, yes. And there used to be that one with the Jimmy Hoffa and the Kennedys, and I can't remember what it's called, like Blood something, Blood Oath. Or Blood... It's really vague in my mind. Yeah, I, I used to watch that as well, but I haven't, I haven't watched it in a long time. But anyway. Yeah. Um, and then he makes Escape from New York, which we've already talked about. At mm. some point, I would love to do that on the Cinephiles. Snake Plissken. Uh, and then they go re- immediately into the thing. Wow. And, and what's interesting is that um, originally, so the thing's based on uh, The Thing from Outer Space, which mm-hmm. was directed by Howard Hawks, right. which I've never seen. Um, it's boring. Yeah? Yeah, I saw it. Because I was like, well, where does this come from if it's a remake? And it's, it's kind of boring. Well, it's and still what, good, but it's boring. And what I've read, but maybe you can confirm, mm-hmm. is that the whole mistrust and turning into other people, that's really not in the movie no, so much. not really. Much more of a traditional monster movie. Yes. And... Um, yeah, and it's it's based on a, a book or a novella called Who Goes There? Mm-hmm. And Carpenter went back to... That's a great name. Yeah. Carpenter went back to the original book and, and really saw all of this mm. mistrust and becoming other people. And that he went, oh, no, that's really what the movie is. Yeah. And he's hanging out with Kurt Russell the whole time that they're developing this film. And they're never talking about Kurt Russell being in the movie. Oh, wow. They're just talking about the movie and what they should do. And Kurt's offering his opinion and they're kind right. of brainstorming about it. Right. And the reason is is that John Carpenter really wanted it to be an ensemble with no hero. Hmm. So he wanted, because if you have a movie star play McCready, right. it's obvious that that guy's the main character. Yeah. But if it's all equals, then you don't know anything. <laughs> That's great. And so they really resisted it, but they kept calling in actors, and they couldn't find anyone that they liked. And right. finally, it was like, well, do you want to do it? And he's like, yeah, sure. <sighs> um, can't imagine it without Kurt Russell. Yeah, no, not at all. He's just a great, he's the perfect mix of one of the guys and also a guy you believe is just a little bit smarter than them, you know? And of course, you cast that way, you direct that way, but you also have to have that energy and that essence within you as an actor for that to come through on screen. And Kurt really does, you know? Kurt Kurt is nothing if not an incredible leader whenever he's given the opportunity in any of the films he does. He's so good at being... It's not an anti-hero exactly. Mm. It's it's like a reluctant hero. Yes, reluctant hero. Yeah, is those that, are my favorite. Those it, are the great ones. Is that he has those heroic qualities, mm-hmm. but he's really not that. That's not what he's here for. Mm. I don't. He no, don't want to be a hero. Yeah, and and we, when we start the movie, there's one scene near the beginning. You're like, that's that's him. That's him to a T, and that's him in just about every movie to a T. Yeah, 
Yeah, I love Kurt Russell. Mm-hmm, me too. Uh, and I, I'm hoping now after Guardians Galaxy 2 that he, there's going to be a resurgence. Yeah. Because he's a really good actor. Yeah. And really likable. Everything goes in cycles here. Yeah. Uh, should we get in the movie? Yes, let's do it. I had forgotten. It's really weird. The movie starts. I love how you start the movie. I had forgotten. I, yes. Well, the movie starts and it, you hear that John Carpenter synthesizer music. Yes. And then up comes the credit for music and it's Ennio Morricone. Morricone! And I just was like, no, it's not. That's John Carpenter music. And then later on, there are cues where you go, oh, that's Morricone. Right. And it's so weird. He doesn't give himself any credit for music. He composed the music for almost all his films. Yes. This is one of the few he didn't. Mm-hmm. He's told Morricone, I'm a huge fan of you. I've been stealing from you for my films for a long time. <laughs> just And he basically sent him the movie, didn't send him any notes. Yeah. And Morricone sent him some music back, and he said, great. And that was the whole thing. Wow. And then he just scored other spots yeah. where he needed, and it was just that synth, droney, yeah. pulsing John Carpenter music. Which I love. I do, too. Yeah, man. It so takes me to a specific period of time. And, and that's all about beats, though, right, Steve? Like, it's where you put that beat. Boom. Yeah. Boom. You put it too quickly, and it messes you up. You put it too late, and you don't quite feel the tension and yep. the drama. You hit yep. it at the right time, and throughout the movie, when it pops up, and you and it pops up like you're so engrossed in the movie that you notice the music only after, like right. only after it's been up for a little bit. And that's that's the mark of a great composer or a great uh, editor and a great director. They know where to push that, put that music. So that you, it's just accompanying what you're already watching and then elevating it. Well, and what John Carpenter is doing with his music is totally different from what Morricone and other, you yeah. know, like John Williams and other great composers we talked about are doing. Mm-hmm. He's creating a tone. Yes. He is not scoring the emotion right. or the movement of the scene that much. It's just, dum, dum. you know, it's just yeah. this, here is this tone. Right. Uh, we see a spaceship comes into space. Nice little flying saucer. I had totally forgotten about it because I haven't seen this in maybe a year or two. Me too. And, I, mean, and I hadn't seen it forever. I had forgotten about the space. Everything else I remember, but the spaceship I had forgotten about. Yeah. Um, and then we burn onto the screen. John Carpenter's <sighs> The Thing. That is a great uh, title. Carpenter. Right. Still works. Um, and then it's Antarctica, winter, 1982. I always think this is stupid, by the way, but is <laughs> when they say winter, they actually mean summer, right? Because the winter in Antarctica is the summer. Oh, because the seasons are reversed. Okay, good call. So are they saying it's... But then it doesn't matter. I think people wouldn't know that right offhand. No. It's, so they're just saying winter. It's all, it's all good. Because snow is on the ground. It's all good. Yeah. And, um, and Kurt Russell says, first week of winter. Yeah. After the Norwegian stuff happens. Right. He, so he says winter. Yeah. No, it's, it's dumb. All I right. mean, we also didn't have to check to see if the toilets were spinning the other way. It's all, <laughs> it's all fine. Um, so, uh, and we start, the opening is great. Yeah. First of all, it looks great. Yes. We're in this beautiful snow field is shot outside of mm-hmm. Juneau, Alaska. Um, not easy. Where yeah. they sh- th- this part was shot there. And they also shot in British Columbia. The main base is in British Columbia. And we see this dog, wolfy sort of dog, mm-hmm. running across the snow. And we see a helicopter swoop in behind it mm-hmm. and a guy lean out with a sniper rifle. Yeah. One of the worst snipers I've ever seen in my entire life. doesn't seem like this is the toughest shot. Yeah. Uh, they're so close to this dog, and they keep missing it. And well, the dog's not doing, like, weird uh, no. speed jumps or speed, like, cur- moves or jumps or jolts or whatever to get away from the bullets. It's just running like a dog would run. Well, and the thing, too, something that's come up on our show before is, in general, you never kill a dog. Yes, true. Movies will kill hundreds of people. Yeah. But you kill a dog, and that is very upsetting. It's a whole other And so to game. open a movie with a, a human just trying to shoot a really beautiful dog, yeah. it just seems horrible. Right. Um, 
we end up at the uh, National Science Institute Station 4. Um, we got some guys playing ping pong inside. We see a little bit. And the interiors, by the way, are shot on Universal. Okay. So they're going back and forth. But they had to keep them all cold because they still wanted breath and stuff like that. Yeah. This was a brutal, brutal shoot. I'm sure. In all sorts of ways for people. I mean, this is really, really rough. Anything in the snow or water is brutal. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Right. Um, there's Kurt Russell making himself a drink. Um Playing chess against the computer, <laughs> right? Welcome to night six. Checkmate. Checkmate. She's a bitch. What? You have a very strong point here. This is the moment. Oh, right. You said, okay. This is what the is moment it? where this is Kurt Russell in the 80s to a T. Cussing at the computer, an inanimate object, and then pouring the uh, liquor into the computer yes. short circuit the computer every person who's played video games in their entire life has wanted to do that at one point or another to whatever place to, whatever system they were playing on they wanted to throw <laughs> it out the window yes. throw it against the wall pour water on it tell it to fuck off because it outsmarted you in some way that you're like yep. not believable not believable and he, he cusses the computer out for playing chess and beating him calls it a bitch pours the uh, J&B I think that he's drinking into the console and short circuits and that, that's Kurt Russell to a T well and something we have to remember which you know we haven't done at some point I'm sure maybe we'll do like a full bigger bio of Kurt Russell yeah. but what was he really known for in the 70s uh, Disney films Disney films live action Disney films Yeah. so he goes from the Disney films which I loved yeah. as a kid yeah. computer wore tennis shoes and right. strongest kid in the world or whatever they were right. I love these movies him and Jan Michael Vincent made their names I off know those. right yeah. and um, and then he goes and does Elvis then he does Snake Plissken right. and now he's doing this I mean talk about a transformation of, a, of an actor yeah um, and um Helicopter still chasing the dog. They start to come in uh, towards this uh, station. Mm -hmm. and, and our guys come out and go, what are they doing? Right. And we've seen the guys that are playing ping pong. Right. One's messing with the radio. The other guy's like doing whatever. So we get this feeling these guys have been in this place for a while. Yeah. Then this comes out of nowhere and they run out. Yeah. And again, you see someone trying to shoot a dog yeah yeah and then they throw uh, it, i think we find out later it's like a kerosene molotov mm -hmm. cocktail but it looks like a grenade or something right at this dog and like holy shit what is going on they land they um and the norwegians comes out scream and the dog runs up to our guys yeah hangs out immediately with uh clark yep. the character of clark and by the way all of these actors are all great supporting actors that you know and have worked for decades yeah for decades, and and I'm not going to give you all their names because no, I no. just it's just too much. Yeah, and keeping straight who like who is that guy and where's that guy from? It's like it's a lot. Yeah. This is a big ensemble yes. of all dudes. Yep. Not only was it an all male cast, with the exception of Adrian Barbeau, I think is the voice of the computer. Oh right. <laughs> um, but <laughs> other sense. than that, other than that, it's almost entirely all male crew. Crew. Oh wow. Because they're up out deep, deep in the snow mm. doing this thing, and so this is a. There's a lot of manliness <laughs> to make this film. party, yeah. Um, and the dog goes and runs to Clark, and the Norwegian comes out with a gun yeah. and is saying something, but of course, we don't know what the hell he's saying. Right. He actually opens fire. Right. And uh, Daniel Moffat, who plays Gary, mm -hmm. I think, mm -hmm. shoots the Norwegian. Yes. Uh, we last saw Daniel Moffat as uh, Lyndon Johnson in The Right Stuff. That's right. Yeah. Yes. Shoots the Norwegian. The other guy goes to get more grenades or something and blows up well what happens is he try he pulls one out and he when he tries to oh, throw he tries it, to it throw slips it. out of his hand 
and then it he tries to dig it out of the dig it out, out of the snow. And, and he blows up along with the helicopter. Yeah, and then right this guy, but this guy shoots one of the dudes in yeah. the leg. One of the guys gets hit, and that's why Daniel Moffat breaks the glass and shoots the dude in the yeah. head and kills him. Yeah. yeah, so this is a hell of an opening to a movie. <laughs> yes, it is. Um, we don't know what the fuck's going on. Nope. Like really strange. And and what what the movie does really really well. We talked about before this idea of you can have the audience ahead of the cast the characters you can have the audience behind the characters or with the characters here we are with the characters we are standing with them in the snow going what the fuck just happened yeah and trying to figure out we don't know anything that they don't know and they don't know anything that we don't know right um that's a really strong opening of a movie Mm -hmm. um and that's when kurt russell says the thing that you said of first goddamn week of winter yeah um and the dog is very attracted to this guy clark which Mm -hmm. is played by richard mauser um, who I love to death. He's great. We've yeah. seen him in so many things. Mm-hmm. You know, there's these guys. You know, I'm sure you would. You know, you would want to be one sure. of these guys, of course, of these working character actors mm-hmm. that are always good that you know. Yep. But they also aren't famous enough. They can go out and go yeah. to a restaurant and sure. You know, maybe they get o- recognized. Maybe only they don't. idiots like me recognize them and say, "I really appreciate your work." And blah yeah. blah blah. Yeah, exactly. Like Richard Dissert plays the uh, plays the uh, doctor, and he's the same guy from. Uh, from L.A. Law, he was yeah. in, he was the head of L.A. Law. I think Wilford Brimley's in this, isn't he? Yeah, of course, Brimley's Wilford in, yeah. Brimley's in this, and then uh, uh, yeah, there's a bunch of T.K. Carter, who T. was K. great Carter. through the '80s, had his own TV series yep. in the '80s. Don't forget Keith He's David, in, and, and of course Keith David, who's obviously still working now. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's so many people, mm-hmm. and, and and so we see Wilford. I love Wilford Brimley. Yeah, um, and great although voice. it's weird seeing Wilford Brimley without a mustache, <laughs> it just yeah. freaks me out a little bit because that mustache is so or iconic. And he's talking to the radio guy, and we established that, oh, we can't get the radio to work. That's an important thing that's going to come in later. And that guy was in The Warriors. He was one of The Warriors. Oh, you're right. Yeah. And that guy has worked for decades as well. The Warriors is another fascinating... See, this is is the thing. Mm -hmm. When we get into... like, I don't think this applies to the thing, but it definitely applies to like Big Trouble in Little China and, Mm -hmm. and Escape from New York, is that there are movies you love... Because you like what what a genre film has to accomplish is not the same thing. If it accomplishes what it's supposed to accomplish with in its genre, yeah, yeah. that is great. Yeah. You know what I mean? This movie, as I say, I feel like it transcends genre yeah. to some degree. Yeah. But that doesn't mean we can't love I mean, do I think The Warriors is a great film? No. Right. Probably not. Right. It's an important film and I love the film mm-hmm. for what it is. It's a cult like devotion. Exactly. No question about it. Like a year or two ago, some was, of the warriors got together yeah, in so. I think Coney Island and took the subway the same. Yeah, because it was the fortieth anniversary the, yeah. or something like yeah. that. Yeah. Which is yeah. hard for me to hear, yeah. I know, because we're old. <laughs> um and uh yes. so we start to meet some of the other characters as we just talked about. Um yeah. and then uh, the doctor, Richard Dessart, says... Guys as crazy as that could have done a lot of damage to their own before they got to us. Nothing we can do about that. Oh, yes, there is. I want to go up. In this weather... Uh, and there's some resistance that maybe a big storm is coming up. And by the way, there were really big storms. I'm sure. While they were up there shooting. Yeah. And it was cold and nasty. And they got caught at one point in a whiteout when they were out. And and oh. and, and Kurt's kind of reaction was he'd heard this thing about a whiteout of like, oh, well, how hard... How bad could that really be? Mm-hmm. And then they get caught in it, and it's like, oh, you can't see you can't see your hand in front of your face. You are surrounded by white, swirling snow. And he said it was absolutely terrifying. I'm sure. Yeah, I've been caught in a dust storm like that. Oh wow. Uh, and yeah, 
it's weird. I've, I've never been caught in anything like that. Yeah. That would scare the hell out of me. It, it was weird. Yeah. yeah. Where I literally, like, I, you know, was at Burning Man and I'm walking Oof. behind people and I could see just barely the person who was walking two feet in front of me. Right. Like, just enough that I could keep, that I didn't lose them. Right. You know? And at one point, we kind of just reached out and put our hand on each other's back. It was that, you know, and trying to figure out, are we walking the right way? Are we? Right. It was terrifying. Not terrifying. It was intense. Okay. Yeah. So, as uh, as Kurt Russell and the doc are leaving in the helicopter, I believe that we must take a moment to show the proper respect to Kurt Russell's hat. Yes. That is a hat. <laughs> I mean, that thing, it is a big floppy yeah it is so uncool it is super cool that's the only way i could describe it yep and looking with his big bushy bearded hair yeah. and all this yeah. it is a whole thing yep yeah that is a, I don't, a great I, I don't know when that hat's going to catch on style wise <laughs> i feel like it should well shout out to the costume designers then because that that you know you got to come up with those kind of things and, and make the look work and it really does i had always assumed by the way that kurt russell had picked out that hat because how would you end up there it was picked for him and he actually wasn't a fan they, oh wow yeah well, there you go that's just surprising to me that makes sense so uh, they go off of the helicopter, and what they do is for this is that the helicopter has dual controls so that Kurt Russell can look like he's flying the helicopter, and but really the, there's another pilot who's doing the work. Oh, gosh. But it, he had given some uh, Kurt some pointers, mm-hmm. so at one point he just took his hands off the controls and said, it's on you. <laughs> and you could see in the film, the helicopter, when it's taking off here, taking yeah. off real nice, realized, whoa, dips a little bit, and then <laughs> that's when Kurt Russell had the controls. And then after we leave, we hear Stevie Wonder superstitious yeah, yeah. it's a great song yeah. and the camera is moving through the place while, while tk carter is working in the kitchen mm-hmm. and this is a key thing to horror films in particular john carpenter mm-hmm. uh we talked about this in judgment in nuremberg a motivated camera move versus an unmotivated camera move right if the camera is moving in a horror movie behind the people when they don't see it what do you feel like yeah you feel like something's watching you yep something's there right something's happening but we don't know what it is. Right. Yeah. And who do we see kind of walking around and looking around? The dog. Yeah. And, and what, there's a really interesting moment that's great, which is that at the end of the sequence, we see the dog walking down the hallway. We see a shadow of yeah. a person. Yeah. The dog walks into that room and the shadow turns. And then it goes to black. And then it goes to black. Yeah, he does a lot of fade to blacks in this movie. Yeah, that I is interesting. Yeah. It's definitely yeah. It's he, what he says is a technique they discovered in the editing room as they were doing it. Oh. these fade outs, these sort of make things kind of episodic. That's smart. Yeah, fade to black sort of makes it gives you a moment to think. Yes, you know, and go. Oh, what did that mean? Right. What was that shadow? Who was that person? Or to take a breath. Yeah, and save the situation. True. Yeah, uh, we end up at the Norwegian camp. Um, some of it was shot on location. The interiors are shot in Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. Here's how they shot what was on location, which is brilliant. That's our camp after they blow it up at the end of the film. Oh, how funny. Isn't that smart? Wow. Yeah. Um, wow. Yeah. And when they shot the stuff in L.A., mm-hmm. it was during a heat wave. It's like 105 degrees. And they're wearing fur coats and yeah. you know, all this stuff. And they have to make... Um, the steam come out of their mouth and there are a bunch of different techniques uh one of which was to drink super super hot coffee before exhaling and the other was something that they actually that frank capper developed when he did lost horizon which is you take a little this is really dangerous by the way you take a little tiny piece of dry ice and you put it sort of in a cage Mm -hmm. and then you hold that in your mouth um so that your breath is now super cold wow um the problem is is that the if you, what happened with Frank Capra, I didn't hear any of this happening mm-hmm. here, but I know with Capra is that 
dry ice is really cold. Yeah. And if it freezes the cage, it can freeze your tongue and stick to your tongue. Oh, shit. Yeah. So he had to, he, he kind of hurt some of his actors trying to do this. <laughs> of course, directors. Um, yeah. And, and that's just not so much fun to do. No. Um, they look around. They don't find anyone there. But they do find, first, a bloody axe. Yeah. And then they walk inside, and there's a frozen guy, a guy frozen in a chair. Mm-hmm. And there's, you can see the blood frozen. Yeah. It's a really good kind of scary, yeah. weird moment. I mean, and this is where you see the effects of this, like the really, the terror. You see the horror starting to build now, right? This, why are they shooting this dog? This dog, the way the camera moves, you know, which is very reminiscent of how Michael Myers moves through Halloween. Oh, yeah, right. Good point. And then, and then you have uh, the dog kind of walking into the. The fact that you see the dog walk, the way the way they directed this dog is amazing. God love this dog because it conveyed the emotions that you see by the actions of the dog, like the fact that it walks through the hallway confidently. Going into the room, and it has that moment where it pauses, then goes into the room with this. Not, it looks like it's going to be. Not, it knows what it, exactly what it's doing, and then you see this like shadow turn. That's such a great sequence, so that when we get to this moment here of everything is happening in the camp, we're already in this feeling like something weird is happening here, right? And there's a really great slow build of dread, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and you see too that this frozen guy in the chair, he's got a razor blade, yeah. and he slit his throat and his wrist. Yep. And you go like, okay, why? Yeah. And by the way, the frozen blood is uh, is thickened with the same stuff they used to make Twinkies. <laughs> oh, good to know. Yeah. So Ugh. that's that's everything a growing boy needs. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, and as we're walking through, we find this big pit, mm-hmm. this big ice pit. Maybe they found a fossil. We go outside and we see someone who's burnt up with kerosene. Yeah. This weird, weird shit going on. Yep. And the remains look weird. Yeah. Not human-like, human, humanish, humanish. Yes, it's 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 it's, <laughs> it's uh, human adjacent. <laughs> um, and then they fly back. Yeah, with this body, with the body. Yeah, yeah. they bring the body back to base. Um, and as they're flying back into base, who's looking out at the window, watching them come back in? The dog. The dog. Yep. I'm starting not to trust this dog. <laughs> yeah. Um, John, I can't tell you how excited I am about the Cinephile's new sponsor, an absolutely incredible game, Marvel Strike Force. Now, anyone who's listened to the show knows that I've been reading comic books since I was five years old, and this is like a comic book fan's dream come true. You could create a mobile squad and play as your favorite Marvel characters. I mean, everyone is there. The Punisher, Vision, Black Panther, Cap, or even my favorite Marvel character of all time, Daredevil. Your goal is to power up those characters, unlock gear, and use them to compete in player versus player mode, alliance mode, and real-time arena. Yes, Stephen, as we speak, they are enjoying their six-year anniversary. Six years, wow. And you know what that means? Free stuff just for signing up via their unique link in the description. The anniversary consists of weekly events and bonuses. If you complete each event, you can receive special rewards and skins. Completing every single mission throughout the entire anniversary will result in an even more special reward. Make sure to log in each day and each week to take advantage of all the new characters that are being released specifically for this event. This will be Marvel Strike Force's most generous event to date, so don't miss out, y'all. Check out that unique promo code, and for every new user, please follow our link in the description and use the promo code MAXPOOL. Once again, Thank you so much to Marvel Strike Force. We're very, very excited to have you sponsoring this episode. 
Uh, we examine uh, the crazy body, mm -hmm. uh, which is like smoking. Yeah. Still. Yeah. Um, and uh, apparently that smoke, particular kind of smoke that they were using, is really rough on people's lungs, which is part of why Wolford Brimley and some of the other people are covering their mouths. And oh. Carpenter just, they, was like, they were like, this is just terrible. Right. And he said, use it. Yeah. Um, which is the director would. Yeah. Yeah. And you get the first, in this, you get the first shot of that kind of double split two head, mm -hmm. you know, which is kind of some of the design stuff we're going to see throughout the film. It's really horrific. The yeah. melting, uh, yeah, the, it's it, like the tongue sticking out, the teeth, it's, it's an all in horror too. The faces are not just regular faces. The faces are caught in the middle of a scream. Yeah. You know, this primal scream, which is really great. And the tone is just kind of slow yeah. and heavy. Yeah. Like you just feel... We're not having jump scares or like it's mm -hmm. not it's it's like a, a slow build of something really really bad is happening. We go yeah. into an autopsy. Yes, that is a a, a real cow, cow's liver that mm -hmm. uh, Wilford Brimley is pulling out of there. <laughs> which apparently he grew up on a farm, so he didn't have any problem with moving these parts around. Of course, um, but we're getting some good grossness. Yeah, John Carpenter is not afraid <laughs> of just being gross. Um, and that night. Um, they're they're watching uh, the VHS tape of like let's make a deal, mm -hmm. which is funny because Monty Hall just died, just passed away, yeah. just died. Yeah, yeah. So we're doing a tribute to him for this. Yeah, this is <laughs> <laughs> this week on the Cinephiles our tribute to Monty Hall. That's all the mention he's that's getting. All the, yeah, that's right. Although I did grow up watching Let's Make a Deal, of course. Who did? Um, and uh, the dog kind of scares one of the guys. I think it's Fuchs, maybe. Mm -hmm. And uh, they go, okay, let's put the dog in the kennel with the other dogs. Which, right. I don't know why we haven't done that before. And, they, uh, and Mauser Clark, who's the guy <sighs> who seems most connected with the dog, brings mm -hmm. the dog to the kennel. The dog walks in, sits down right in the middle of the kennel. Clark goes away. The dog is sitting in the middle of the kennel. The other dogs are starting to get pretty uncomfortable with this. Yeah. There's something about this dog they don't like. Dog's just sitting there. And then, how would you describe what happens next? Uh, well, traditional nature documentaries show you that <laughs> when a new, uh, a new uh, 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 what would you say, a new animal is introduced from the species around other similar animals, uh, there is a battle for dominance. Yes. Right? And well, so that certainly guess that happens. This takes it to a whole other level. And that's what's great about dogs. Dogs can always sense things on other levels that we don't as human beings. They have this extra sense that allows... And, you know, I'm not saying like in a scientific way, but they, they can sense things before we do. Dogs sometimes will run off before we hear anything or send something before we hear anything, or get out of the way. You know, it's, you watch earthquake videos. Dogs start running before the building right. starts shaking because they can sense it. Right. And so that happens. They have that, and I think that's what's so great. He takes advantage of the situation because immediately the other dogs are just kind of chilling, and then all of a sudden, the dog, the uh, alien dog, starts to pant in a certain way that's powerful. Yeah. And the other dogs react to it because they sense this is not a dog. This no. is not one of us. And uh, then it starts to op open its mouth like a flat, like a like a crazy blooming flower. This thing sticks out. These wi these wires start these coming weird out. Tentacles, yeah, tentacles, and, and then these and like, w wires come out of it like in tentacle ways. And and then the dogs start barking like crazy, going insane. And then one dog, which I love to pieces, and it really really uh, uh, accentuates the horror, starts chewing on the fence to get out yep. that's how scared those dogs are yep and the and, and the dog and this 
whatever oh. it is mutates and mutates and mutates oh. and grabs the dogs and sprays yeah. them with some kind of liquid and yeah. it's just all really i don't think there's been anything like this on film up to this point that i know of yeah i mean this is some really weird crazy shit mm-hmm. and the uh the effects guy is a guy named rob boten yeah Botin, and this is his first movie wow He's like 23, yeah. and he was a big John Carpenter fan, and he kind of followed him along and around and said, I want to I work with you, and Carpenter said, oh, whatever, and he thought, okay, well, that's it. I just looked like a big jerk, you know, just yeah. I was really stupid, and then two weeks later, he called him and said, hey, you want to do this movie, The Thing? It's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And there is some of the effects. It might be the dog. I'm not sure. Yeah. Where Rob had to go away and they actually did call Stan Winston right. in. Uh, and he did some of it too. I always assume this was all Stan Winston, but it's not. Right, right. Yeah. He only came in and maybe it was the dog. It did like one of the big effects, but yeah. that's it. Um, this maybe, thing is. Maybe the last big effect. I don't think it's the last okay. one. Okay. Um, I don't think so. Okay. Um, uh, obviously, we're going to get to that. Yeah. Um, and then. Uh, Kurt, while this is going on, Kurt Russell is at the refrigerator. Yeah. Getting a beer. Here's a weird sound. Yeah. And he, man, he hits that alarm real fast. Yeah, he does. Yeah, he does. Because he of what he's seen at that other base, he wants, he, he, that's his reaction. Yeah, like, yeah right? I think so. He, he has that extra knowledge that those guys don't have other than uh, Richard Dissett who came with him. And so he hits that alarm and they all run down there. And Masur is the first one that runs back because he had put the dog in there in the kennel. And then we see what that thing is and which is really great for you to see the monster this early yeah. in the monster movie i thought that i think it's a brilliant thing it's a very difficult thing to do this because seeing it this early means you have to spend the rest of the movie kind of having them deal with the fact that they've seen it already as opposed to it picking them off one by one without them knowing what the fuck it is you know and so this is an interesting movie well and, and what's interesting too and we talked about this extensively in jaws yeah which is the moment you really see the thing, it usually becomes less scary, you know, <laughs> and that is not the case here. Not at all. And I think part of why it's not the case here is that the shark looks like a shark. Right. So once you've seen it, you go like, oh, I know what that is. I can put that in a box. This one, <laughs> you never know what it is. No. It keeps changing. We don't know what the, we don't know what the thing is. It grows eyes. It grows tentacles. It's uh, legs. It grows legs. Yeah, it grows all kinds of weird things to get Different out of situations. Different heads. And it's all, it is really weird. It is made of multiple tendons. And the moment that McCready gets everyone and they all rush to the kennel and they mm-hmm. look into that cage and they see it for the first time. Oh, man. Holy shit. You're right. And, and what's interesting, too. I think we're pretty clear now what the Norwegians were upset about. Yeah, exactly. They, they knew, and, and this is, we immediately see Kurt Russell's leadership, mm-hmm. you know, get, we need the flamethrower. Right. Why do they have so many flamethrowers? Well, it's the, it's the snow. You never know when you need it. <laughs> you, know? you know? So I should write to Hoover, because yeah, Hoover is my him. partner. He's done five trips to Antarctica. Yeah. I'll ask him how many flamethrowers he had. No, but trips to Antarctica is different. Has he worked in Antarctica... At a science station, then I want to certainly. I'm sure he's been to science stations in Antarctica because <laughs> that would make Because I would think you'd want to have a flamethrower available just in case it's so <laughs> just, much snow. Just, it seems to me. Well, okay, <laughs> to melt the snow or something. You know, <laughs> I'm really look. It's a good thing they have. Them. <laughs> yes, it's it a is. really good thing they have all these. We established Childs is having the flamethrower. Yep. He is so that he calls him in, and he's late. Childs is late to the situation, and everyone yeah. else is shooting this thing, and this thing grows hands. Yeah. And climbs through the roof, and whatever's left of this thing, which is still alive and doing whatever it's doing, 
they uh, child's finally sets on fire. Yeah, when those claws come out of this Ooh. thing, it is like it's some weird, crazy stuff. Yep. Yeah, and so yeah, then child shows up and burns this thing, and that the one of the last things you see is this weird eye. Yeah. Look, it is weird and creepy. <laughs> um, so let's have another autopsy. Sure. So where Wilford Brimley really didn't seem to have so much problem with the first one. No. This one's maybe a little rougher. Yeah. Um, and we, we don't know what he's looking at. Mm-hmm. There's weird, like, you know, limbs and skin, and it is really, Dog really parts. weird. Yeah. Um, and they come up with this idea, okay, this is an organism that imitates other life forms, uh, and it, it's attacked and absorbed and imitated the dogs. Mm-hmm. And good thing we got to it before it could finish whatever it was trying to do. So we're cool, right? <laughs> not at all. <laughs> and what's great about this is it's believable because it's not just a, a bunch of roughnecks or a bunch of regular dudes. This is a science center. Yeah. So these people have a proclivity to look at things in right. a scientific way. So you believe that they can analyze it this early in the film. Yeah. You know? so, yeah. And, they, and, and they have. We start to yep. learn like what everybody's skills are. Yep. And it seems like uh, Wilfred Bloomley's character, which is Blair, I think. Yeah. That he's like kind of the the really smart one. Yeah, that seems to be how they're treating him, which is yeah. great casting for Wilford Brimley. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and his performance in this film is so odd. Ah oh, man, um, it's very because we're you're kind of used to him being the oatmeal guy. Yeah, this yeah. Real, and yet he could be really scary and very scary. Yeah, and he will be in this film. Those dead eyes. Of yeah, his. Um, and immediately we see that Wilford Brimley seems to maybe be worried about Clark. Mm-hmm. Clark. Did you notice anything strange about the dog? Anything at all? Strange? No. What was the dog doing in the rec room? I don't know. It's just wandering around camp all day. Are you saying to me the dog wasn't put in the kennel until last night? Right. How long were you alone with that dog? I don't know. An hour. Hour and a half, maybe. What the hell are you looking at me like that for? And this is this thing that's now started in the film. Mm-hmm. We've said that there, that this alien can become other things somehow. And now Wilford Billings asking Clark, where did you, when were you yeah. with the dog and what happened? Yeah. And suddenly we get it. Right. Wilford Brimley doesn't know if Clark is an alien. Yeah. That, and that is what this movie is. This movie is about not knowing. Yep. Um, and, and we see that Wilford is still sort of cogitating all this while they're watching the VHS tapes of the Norwegian guys. Mm-hmm. Um, and they they see that they went somewhere and they look at a map and try to figure out where this thing is. And Max says, let's go look. And they get out in the helicopter and they fly to this big, huge crater. Yeah. And they look down at a spaceship. Right. Um, How insane is that? Yeah. Yeah, this is it's fairly crazy. <laughs> um and they what I what's really crazy to me is that they climb down into the spaceship. Yeah. I'm like, you know what? Maybe that's not what I want After to do. After seeing that, why would you climb into no, its headquarters yeah, or whatever? Yeah. It yeah. seems crazy. Yeah. And and we get a little exposition that this is probably a hundred thousand years. It's yeah. been buried for a hundred thousand years. Yep. Uh and again, we fade to white. And now we have a big meeting discussing what it is we should do. Keith David doesn't really believe it. I just cannot believe any of this voodoo bullshit. Yeah. Palmer, which is one of the other characters we haven't talked about yet, mm-hmm. he's kind of the drugged out yeah. sort of, yeah. you know. He's the, the 
Former Vietnam pilot. Yeah, helicopter that, yeah, yeah, pilot. That's what that he guy. Is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's like, uh, you know, he's the conspiracy theorist. Oh, there are mm. aliens happening all the time. They happen in yeah. South America. Blah, they blah, own blah. half of South They own yeah. all of South America. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and in comes TK, rolls in on his roller skates, and he's got some torn up long underwear. Yeah. So apparently there's something. This is one of the weaker plants, I think. But there's something about, yes, they tear up people's clothes when they right. invaded, but we don't, no one wrote their name on their underwear. Right. So, right. so we don't know whose this was, which is a lesson to you kids out there. Always write your name on your underwear because if an alien invades you, yeah. you want people to know that you're the alien. Yeah, right. And to take you out. Yeah. Wait, maybe this is bad advice. Well, no, I think it's good advice. You want people to know that you're the alien so, they, so you don't kill other people. You don't want that on your conscience. And and at the end of their meeting, they ask Wilford Brimley, who, again, we sort of established as a smart guy, mm-hmm. do you believe any of this? And he just gives a look. Yeah. Yeah. He does a computer simulation yeah. of the thing. <laughs> 1980s. Little, computer 1982 simulation. computer simulation. This seems a, little, seems a little wonky for me, but he kind of comes to the conclusion that the computer tells him, yes, someone is probably infected. And if it goes on and gets out into the world, it's going to basically wipe out the whole population. It says 75% possibility that someone is infected with it yeah. currently and then it shows that cell uh consuming the cell of the host and then becoming an a, ver- a variation of a combination of both the cells yep right it's pretty intense yeah which leads him to grab a bottle of booze <laughs> and a revolver yes. which by the way i think those seem like the right choices i feel like once you find out that there's this thing that could wipe out the entire planet your responsibility as a scientist is to make sure it does not in any way shape or form leave the area yes right? and he flips out he flips out yeah yeah okay just justifiably so yeah probably um but he doesn't tell everybody else because he doesn't know who to believe uh kurt's having a little bit of a drink um and we need to remove move the remains to the storeroom right that doesn't seem i don't want these remains in my storeroom and of yeah. course we know we're watching a horror film, so we know that bad things are still going to happen. Right, right. Um, and TK and Bennings go in the storage room. TK comes outside with Mac, mm-hmm. and Mac starts talking to TK. Uh, that's McCready. That's Kurt Russell's character. Yeah. And we start to talk about, hey, there's something wrong with Blair. Right. There's something wrong with Blair. He's locked himself in his room, and he won't answer the door. So I took one of his notebooks from the lab. Yeah. Listen. It could have imitated a million life forms on a million planets. Could change into any one of them at any time. Now it wants life forms on Earth. It's getting cold in here, Fuchs, and I haven't slept in Wait a minute, days. Mac, wait a minute. It needs to be alone and in close proximity with the life form to be absorbed. The chameleon strikes in the dark. So is Blair cracking up or what? Even if the creed, there is still cellular activity in these burned remains. They're not dead yet. And while they're having this conversation, we see some movement under that... Mm-hmm. Uh, where the remains are under the blanket, <laughs> and then we see the movement of some blood. Mm-hmm. And then when TK finally comes back to the storage room, there's this really weird shot of Bennings, the guy that got left there, yeah, with a lot of weird shit happening to him. Yes, it is. It is nasty. Yep. Uh, TK, of course, freaks out, goes to get Mac, um, goes to find Bennings. He was right there. Mm-hmm. I know he's right there. He was right there. And he's gone. Yeah, yeah. I think we all run out into the snow. I think we found Bennings. Yeah. And he's sort of mid-mutation. Oh, it's fantastic. Yeah. And this actor does a great job, too, of doing it. A guy we've seen in numerous things as well, again. Falls down on his knees, and then he just the acting he does with the claw for a hand, when he looks back over his shoulder and, like, just screams some alien Weird scream. noise, yeah. Yeah, from, like, 100,000 years ago, this ancient primal scream. 
and then they and then they uh, Kurt Russell kicks that thing over. And then they set him on fire with the with the flare, flame or whatever. Yeah, oh, with the flare. Yeah, right. Because he knocks over the gas can yeah. and lights this thing up. Mm-hmm. Well, they keep what? trying to kill this thing. Yeah, and it keeps become. It keeps like little parts of it keep separating and becoming something and staying alive. So it's an amazing. It's amazing what this thing. This the thing is. Yeah, and what this movie does is force you as the audience to go, "What would I do?" Yes, exactly. So what would you do? At this point, I'm doing everything Kurt Russell's doing in my mind. Right, you're just like you're making sure, because you can't do it on your own, and you can't sit there and think everyone else is the alien, and you're not. It's well, and, and 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 this is the thing: it's like part of you wants to get the fuck away from all yeah, these other sure. people. Well, where the fuck are you going to go? Well, and it's when people are away from other people is when they could possibly get taken over by the alien. Exactly. And so you want to have people be together, right? But if you're together and one of those an alien, well, then you might get killed. Right. Like it, it is it is a it is a tough survival puzzle that we're trying to figure out. Which is why it's a great horror film. It puts you in that situation yeah. of like, what would you really do? Because if you do leave and you don't know if you're infected or not, you could spread it to everybody. Well, else. this. OK, so this is my question that yeah. I wanted to ask is I am not 100 percent sure what exactly is happening in the film. Right. Is it that when the that the alien has taken over and learns enough of your memories to pretend to be you yeah um and you are dead or is it that you continue to know that you're you Mm -hmm. with all of your memories and you don't realize the alien is inside you could be because that's what happens to uh to what's his face he starts to feel these uh oh yeah with to norris because he starts to feel these like chest pains or hurts in his stomach he doesn't know he's an alien. He's just feeling these pains. Right. And then it isn't later until he has that heart attack after Kurt Russell throws him off in the storm room when the uh, storeroom when they think he Kurt Russell could right. be or Mac could be infected that he ha- has complete shutdown. Yeah. Right? And once again, this thing has just come out of the snow. It's been buried for 100,000 years. So it's it's uh drive its motivation is to get back into space. Because it's been buried for 100,000 years. It's trying to go home. That's the thing in my mind. This is the reverse of E.T. This film is is a companion piece to E.T. Because E.T. is trying to get home as well. Because he misses his family. And so he's trying to hide out and all this kind of stuff. And the kids use his power. The thing is trying to get home back to its fam- to his family as well. Or its family as well. Uh, and it's doing whatever it can to survive. Until it can build its spaceship near the end and try to leave. So, so two, it's crazy to me. Two yeah. things about that. Yes. First, it's totally fascinating that you said that. Yeah. Because do you know when E.T. came out? 82. Two weeks before the thing. Wow! Two weeks before the thing. Yeah. And they think that one of the reasons that the thing didn't do well oh. was because the biggest movie of all time, which E.T. was, yeah. came out two weeks before. Oh. And it is exactly what you said. This is the complete opposite yeah. um, view of what alien life is. And every wasn't... Everyone in the world is embracing the sweet alien, yeah. and nobody wants to go watch the thing, <laughs> which is why it took a long time to discover after. Yeah. Uh, the second thing that I say, because this is something they say later, mm-hmm. oh, he's just trying to go home. Yeah. Um, and it's like, okay, how? we don't really know what this alien is trying to do. No. I mean, it is building a ship. We're going to get to the all that later. The fact it's building a ship to me. Yeah, it's, me it's something like that. Yeah. Um, uh, Mac talks to Gary, uh, and Gary just has a doesn't seem to get what's going on. No, uh, Gary is Daniel Moffat's character. He doesn't want to get it because he's like, "That's my friend." Yeah, he's been my friend for ten years, and Kurt was like, "Not anymore." Not anymore. Yeah, right. Well, and 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 this is a pickup. They added this scene late later as oh. as they're editing the film because they realize we got to make this really clear. Yes, what's going on with the audience? It's a really really important scene. I agree. 
and 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 Matt's like, we got to burn the everybody. You know, mm-hmm. anyone that we, you know, every, that fire seems to be the only thing that's going to stop these guys. Yeah. Um, and in the midst of this, the person that we really want to find is Blair. Yeah. Who we cannot find. Uh, we got Windows, who's our radio. So many characters in this thing. He's still trying to get the radio to work. Um, and Max sees someone run, someone run inside from the helicopter. We think that might be Blair. Yeah. He examines the helicopter, and it's ripped to pieces. So he's stranding him. Yeah. This alien is stranding now, them. Yeah. Is the alien stranding them? Oh, right. Blair is stranding them. Yes. Well, this is one of the things. We don't know when... I mean, spoiler when Blair alert. becomes, yeah. Blair is going to be... Well, don't be a spoiler alert. I mean, you have to watch the movie. You're listening to us. It's no spoiler Well, and alert. we're going to spoil everything anyway. Yeah, exactly. Is, no that, is, that, is that one of the things is that Blair is going to become the alien. Yeah. But we have no way of knowing when in the movie he becomes... When is he an alien? Exactly. It's impossible for us to know. And right. it's sort of... I mean, I kind of have my suspicion of when it happens. Yeah. But it's hard to figure out. This movie is hard to figure out. Mm-hmm. Um and one of the things that's interesting that, that I think is important in films is that limited light is intrinsically scary. Mm-hmm. So flashlights mean that you could only see part of the landscape mm-hmm. at, at the same time. And something we're going to use a whole bunch in this film later yeah. is flares. Yeah. And they, too, it's the same thing. It's like we're going to light up this one area mm-hmm. and that's it. Yeah. Now, I don't know why they all are using flares all the time, but, man, <laughs> it sure looks cool. Yeah. Inside, we hear yelling and freaking out, and <laughs> Wilford Brimley has gone apeshit crazy. He smashed up some of the chopper pretty good. Nobody Child, go see if he got to the tractor. Nobody gets in and out of here. Nobody! He's got it. He's got an axe he's destroying yeah. the computers he's mm-hmm. shooting his revolver at people yeah almost looks like he hits keith david yes uh which i guess he doesn't mm-hmm. uh keith david in this scene when he runs up by the way you notice he's kind of hiding his left hand because he broke it in a car accident so it's got a big cast on it oh shit yeah How funny. um and um they get a big table and they slam wilford brimley against the wall yeah and he is wigging out yeah because he doesn't want anybody to leave and spread this thing because he can't trust anybody well, this is the thing. So, so one motivation is that he sees the computer simulation that says this alien mm-hmm. is here. If the alien gets out in the world, it's going to wipe out the Earth. Yeah. So he destroys the helicopter to protect the 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 world from yeah. the alien. Yeah. Another possibility: he already is the alien. Right. Um, I think it's the former. I think he's still Blair mm-hmm. wigging out. What do you think? I got something even deeper. Okay. I think the alien is already inside him and is taking advantage of. Blair's mind to convince him to do these things oh. in the pure way that he's saving the earth but the alien knows he's motivated him to do this so that he can strand them there and use them for what he needs them for well and there's another possibility too or or, or yeah a, maybe an additional thing on yeah. top is that there's also the possibility if you remain you, yourself yeah when the alien takes over that there's some period where there's a battle of wills between you and the thing that's taking you over yeah because in the norwegian camp we see the guy who slit his throat and his wrists yeah is that maybe he knew he had become the alien right and that was his way of not killing his friends yeah and maybe so it could be that blair is in a battle yeah an internal battle right now yep and of course we're never going to know. Not until later, yeah. Well, we're not going to know. We're never going to know what exactly was going on True. right now. True. Um, we do certainly find out what's happened <laughs> to Blair. Uh, they lock him up in the tool shed. Yeah. Uh, and right at the end, what does Blair say? I don't know who to trust. I know what you mean, Blair. 
Trust's a tough thing to come by these days. Tell you what, why don't you just trust in the Lord? Watch, Clark. I said, watch Clark and watch him close. Do you hear me? Watch Clark. And and what's funny is the movie is direct. We're not trusting Clark much either. Right. You know, and the movie is telling us to watch Clark, mm-hmm. but we don't really know. And if he's the alien, why is he telling them to watch Clark? Exactly. Yeah. And, and Daniel Moffat, who seems to be kind of the leaderish guy, I think. Yeah. Like the guy who's supposed to be mm-hmm. the, in charge. He just like, well, we're just going to hold up here till spring. All we do now is hold up till spring, wait for the rescue team. No, we don't wait. Somebody in this camp ain't what he appears to be. Right now, that may be one or two of us. By spring, it could be all of us. So how do we know who's human? If I was an imitation, a perfect imitation, how would you know if it was really me? And we go, oh, let's go look at the blood. Yeah. Because we'll be able to test our blood against the original blood and see if something's changed. Right. So they go into where they have their bags of blood stored. Nope. <laughs> Someone's cut open the blood. Yep. And we don't see Clark right now. Right. Yeah. So again, we're continually showing suspicion. And who else has access to that blood? Doc and Moffat. Right. Um, so suddenly now we have suspicion on them. And we start to, and the guys are starting to turn on each other now. Yep. Yeah, and this is the thing. This is what elevates the film. And I was trying to think of what is the difference between a pure genre film mm-hmm. and, a, and an elevated genre film. These are terms I'm just making up right now. Sure, sure. But like Jaws being, I would say, the classic example. Yeah, and maybe Touch of Evil too. That's another one where it's like it, it looks like a genre film, but it elevates. It goes mm-hmm. beyond that genre. Mm-hmm. Um, is that there's a certain point where real deep human emotion comes in. Yeah, in a way that it, there's. I don't. I like Escape from New York a lot, but. There isn't any deep human emotion there. You're yeah. there for the ride. You're right. there to enjoy that genre. Right. You know, there are all sorts of kung fu movies where I love watching them because they have great kung fu scenes, but I'm not really feeling emotions. Whereas right. Jaws, you really feel a deep, profound yeah. connection to those characters. Yeah. And I think that's happening now here. Right now, and in, in particularly in this moment, as mm-hmm. the distrust is really starting to happen and we're trying to figure out how to survive, like yeah. I think we're kind of getting beyond just genre to me. Yeah, and I agree with you. And I think that's, that's why the film stands the test of time because, of, because it's something you can relate to. You understand it and it's believable and it's cast so well. That yeah, these that's this key. limited amount of screen time that these characters have, because like you said at the beginning, you want to do an ensemble, you... you 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 have to do the most you can with the limited amount of time you have and the dialogue that you have. And the dialogue is great and it's believable. It's believable. That's the number one thing. It's believable. Each of these characters' protestations, issues, worries, concerns, uh, and refusal to do certain things or push back when given orders fits their character yeah. and makes sense because of what the situation is and what's happening. So that makes you feel even more like you are in an actual film. This is actually happening as you're watching it. And it like allows you to like suspend your disbelief and slide into that film completely and ask yourself, like you've been asking, what would I do? What would I do? You know, yeah. Yeah. And, really and, and right in this moment, in this tension where it's like, well, G- Gary had access to the key, Doc had access yeah. to the key, what was Clark doing? Windows... Runs down the hallway, mm-hmm. breaks some glass, and pulls out a rifle. Yep. All the other guys come down. Daniel Moffat's character, Gary's got mm-hmm. a gun on him. Mm-hmm. And we're like, oh, shit. Put that down. No. I'll put this right through your head. You guys going to listen to Gary? 
You're going to let him give the orders? I mean, he could be one of those things. What's going to happen? Yeah. And Windows puts down the gun, and Daniel Moffat's holding that gun, and then he has a great moment yeah. where it's sort of, I think you'd all be a lot more comfortable if I put this down. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And that is a, that is key yeah. to what's going on in this movie. And now we have this moment of, okay, if Gary's not going to be in charge, who's going to be in charge? Right. Um, Charles tries to step up. Yeah, Charles is like, I'll be in charge. <laughs> well, they try to offer it to Clark, I think. And Clark says... Not to Clark, to... to uh, Nor- oh, Norris. 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 Right. Norris says... A lot of people in this movie. I'm not up, I'm not, I'm not up for it. Or I'm not ready. I don't think yeah. I can handle it. Or I'm not ready for, to do it. And then Charles steps up. And then Kurt takes the thing away from him and says, we need someone a little more level-headed. Yeah. And then it kind of defaults to Kurt. Which I think is brilliant to not have Kurt just step up. Or have people... Everybody turn to him as some kind of messiah. It's actually done like organically as you would in a conversation like we found uh, okay this guy sure we can kind of trust him we'll do with mac yeah why is it what 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 is it about him do you think that they go okay i think a he just has that energy and essence and also b because he's one of the guys but also separate yeah that's what i was thinking too yeah the individualistic nature of him even though when he's part with the guys he still respects the guys he does his own thing and even at the beginning when they're going to go to the norwegian thing Richard Dissert, as the doctor, says to him, we won't go if you don't, if you don't want to go. Like, if you don't want to fly us, Mac, we won't go. So there's a kind of respect for Mac as yeah. the, that he's the kind of guy that knows a little bit more than everybody else about, naturally knows a little bit. Some people just are built that way. They have a more instinctive, instinctual knowledge about how to do certain things, and you defer to them because you've seen them, you've seen it come out in conversation or in events. Well, and this is this weird thing about leadership, and, yeah. and, and one of the things is that Mac has, he's calm, and he's competent. Yes. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like he, he, what he is doing, he only does things when he knows how to do them. Yeah. You know, where everyone else is kind of scrambling, he's really level headed about yeah. this. Yeah. So they go outside, they burn all the blood, and now we're all standing in a circle. And this is almost like, yeah. Something about this that reminds me of standing in the circle in Excalibur around the round table. I mean, yeah. it's a totally different circumstance. Right. But like the, and Kurt Russell has this great speech. I know I'm human. If you were all these things, then you'd just attack me right now. So some of you are still human. This thing doesn't want to show itself. It wants to hide inside an imitation. It'll fight if it has to. But it's vulnerable out in the open. If it takes us over, then it has no more enemies. Nobody left to kill it. And then it's won. There's a storm hitting us in six hours. We're going to find out who's who. And, and what's interesting, too, with this distrust and all, one of the things that John Carpenter talked about is this is right at the very beginning of the AIDS epidemic. Yes. Oh, um, that's great. Yeah. Yeah. And this, and, you know, because at the time, that it's totally 82. totally makes sense. But there's this disease. We don't quite know how it's transmitted. Yeah. We know it's really, we don't know if you get it just by touching someone. Everyone's or afraid. Someone. Everyone's afraid. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, Shit. Was that in his mind in making this movie? Or he was said it? it in the commentary track. I don't know oh. whether or not he was in his mind or not. I don't know. Fascinating. Okay. Yeah. So Kurt makes this great speech. Mm-hmm. And we're going to separate some people out. In particular, I think Doc, Clark, or Doc, Gary, mm-hmm. and Clark. Mm-hmm. We're going to tie them up and drug them with morphine. <laughs> One of the things that Carpenter says, which doesn't surprise me, is that people freak out more from the close-up needle shots yes. than they do from the crazy monster shots. Of course, man. Uh, people there. A lot of people do not like needles. People have a thing about it. My, my wife, in particular, she has a real. Really? Yeah, she has a serious. I always look away. 
Yeah, I don't, they don't bother me. Okay. I don't, I don't, yeah, I'm, I'm okay with it. Okay. There are a lot of other things. Big tough guy. Right? <laughs> oh, no, I have all sorts of other stuff that bothers the shit out of me, but needles aren't one of them. I don't like, I don't like people touching their own belly buttons. That oh. makes me uncomfortable. I don't know oh. why. All right. Yeah. Fair. If you, so, so if instead of having like an injection scene, I'd be like, yeah, whatever. But if you had a scene with someone just sticking their finger in their belly button in a close-up of a movie, I'd be like, oh, stop <laughs> it. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to do a half-hour student film with just that. <laughs> Coming soon to the cinephiles. <laughs> Steve, gonna, <laughs> you just forced me to watch it and record my reactions. <laughs> I'm going to take your class and make that my thesis film. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ. Oh my God! No, it really. Just this discussion is upsetting. Me. I'm not I'm totally not kidding. I don't know why it is. Just give me an A. You better give me an A. <laughs> oh, you bastard. Um, okay. Uh, so we drug our guys. Yeah. We have Kurt Alone. He records this message on that beautiful cassette recorder. It's exactly the same one that I had. Nobody trusts anybody now. We're all very tired. trust anybody now there's nothing else i can do just wait you know and i was wondering when i was watching because he's hitting play and rewind and then holding down two buttons to hit record and then he says this thing about nobody trusts each other he rewinds back and records over it right and i was watching it going if my son were to watch this would he know what the fuck is going on (laughs) Uh, maybe not because I know that you push play and record and right. how the you know but this technology doesn't exist anymore right and then he goes to visit uh, Fuchs yes uh, and walks in and, and by the way I should say while he's recording this message mm-hmm. there was talk of having like a shadow go by or like other scare oh, yeah, things okay. and what Carpenter decided to do is like no we just need these sort of shots if you shoot someone. And, and you shoot them in such a way that there's an empty open space behind them. Mm-hmm. We will be scared. Yes. Because what's going to come out of that space? Right. And then, he, and then he has a shot from behind where you're looking at Kurt Russell's back and you feel like, who is watching him? Right. And just those shots alone create the tension. Mm-hmm. And then we go and Fuchs goes and visits Kurt and he's got this beaker of clear liquid. Yeah. What's in that beaker? Uh, I don't know. What was in that beaker? I No, I don't know either. I, oh, okay. Yeah, I... I, I I, my guess is it's like acid or something. Probably. Like a weapon that mm-hmm. he's going to use. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a, in a weird little scene. And then we stay with Fuchs and the lights go out. Yeah. And then he's walking through holding a lighter. Yeah. This is where the shit gets scary. <laughs> of course. We have a shadow go by. Shoo. That's yeah. a classic sort of jump scare kind mm-hmm. of moment. Mm-hmm. Um, he goes and he goes outside with a torch and he finds some torn up clothes yep. with McCready's name on it. Mm-hmm. Where do you think these came from? Well, let me ask you this question. Sure. At this moment, are you suspecting McCready? Kurt Russell's character, Mac. Yes. No, because we'd have the because we'd had that scene of him recording that stuff. I don't suspect him, but I like that everyone else suspects him. Right. That's great for the film. If it hadn't been Kurt Russell and yeah. it had been just another actor, yeah. Would you have suspected? Yes, absolutely. I think so too. Yeah, I think him being a star mm-hmm. changes the way because we know he is the star, right? So our, our we will suspect everybody else more than we will suspect him, right? Um, but I also think the recording scene helps, yeah, because it makes it seem like he's you know for posterity or to help people. Other absolutely, people yeah. 
Um, and we go inside, and now we can't find Fuchs, and we're going to uh, do like a search party, and yeah. Palmer doesn't want to go with this person, and yeah. and we're like going to split up. And I, I don't, He doesn't want to go with TK. He doesn't want to go to TK, that's no, right. No, but he'll go with Childs. He just won't go with TK. I, don't, I just don't like this plan. This is one of the plans <laughs> of the movie where I go, I don't understand. This doesn't seem that smart. Well, I don't know why people like you watch these movies and think, you know what I would do? In these situations, doesn't that what everyone does? Well, no, but I mean, like, no, but I mean, like, you criticize that, like, like, and I don't mean in a negative way. I mean this in a very playful way. Like, sometimes we watch a film and we're like, oh, that doesn't seem like a good idea. And you're just like, yeah, you can say that sitting in the comfort of your fucking theater, but when you're actually in the situation, sure, you're not thinking straight. You're not oh, putting it all together. You're just like, okay, what sounds good? Sure, fuck it, let's do that. Okay. Well, there's two different things because. A good movie doesn't mean that you have smart people coming up with good plans. True. You can have, I mean, like, the, the fact that I go, and, and part of the fun of watching is going, well, what would I do? What right. I, or that's part of the fun for me. Right. That's what I like doing, is right. thinking through, like, well, what, what would I do in this I, situation? I enjoy that, but yeah. once they make a decision, I don't question the decision. I just go, fuck it, here we go. Like, where's this going? Oh, of go? course. No, I'm with you. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Because yeah, yeah. like that's that. the decision they made. Yeah. I mean, it's like if you watch a. Um, uh, I don't know, a romantic comedy, mm-hmm. and you see the horrible choices people make in the relationship. You're trying to, that's yeah. not making the movie bad. You're that's just going, true. oh, don't do that. Oh, <laughs> no. Oh, that's a terrible yeah. idea. And I should probably turn the microscope on me, too, because when I watch sports, I'm like, why'd you do that? Yeah. Why, why didn't you run there? That's part of the, yeah. I mean, certainly right. horror, horror movies in particular oh, are yeah. like, don't go down that hallway. <laughs> Don't go. No, don't go into the. No, yeah. what are you doing? Some of the best comedic sets are talking about stuff like that. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, so yeah. Uh, they split up. And I love uh, McCready goes and checks on Blair. And they open up the little window in the door. little half conversation, isn't and it? And Blair's like, no, I'm, I'm, let me back. I, want, I don't like being out here. Can yeah. I come, can I can come I back? Come, almost like a child. It's very childlike. Right? I don't want to stay out here anymore. I want to come back inside. Funny things. I hear funny things Where? out here. Did you come across Fuchs? It ain't Fuchs. I'm not going to harm anybody, and there's nothing wrong with me. And if there was, I'm all better now. I'd like to come back inside. Now, you got my promise. And what is behind Blair's right shoulder? The noose. A noose. Yeah. Okay, so first of all, the scene is just amazing on itself. Yep. Is like his, Wilford Brimley's performance, and it's just, no, I'm calmed down. I'm not going to hurt anybody. Right. I'm, I'm very calm. Right. And please let me come back. And he's like, no, we can't, <laughs> we can't do that. With that noose that we never talk about yeah. sitting in the background. Okay, I'm going to ask this question again. Yeah. Is he an alien? Uh, I don't know at this point. I really can't say. Because I don't know if he put that noose or the guys put that noose and said, if you start to feel like you're turning, hang yourself. Oh, I think he put that noose. You think he built it? I I think he... And this is where I go. And I think about that guy who slit his wrist in his throat. Right. It's like he's going... Like part of me is going, maybe he... Maybe he is, yeah. he's nervous about becoming an alien, right. or he is an alien, right. or he's having a battle with his own, in his own soul. That's really But possible. I think that noose is sort of, I can't be the one who destroys the world. Yes. You know? Well, that's great to read that into that. I love that's, that. That's how I feel about okay. it. But, but what's going to mess this up a little bit, like, the, in terms of how much time has passed, mm-hmm. and when does Blair become an alien, is that... What we're going to find out at the end is that there's this whole tunnel under the tool shed, yeah, yeah. and he's building a spaceship. Yes. Well, that couldn't happen that... I don't know how fast aliens can build shit. I mean, they do have a lot of tentacles and stuff. So he's been an alien the whole time? I don't... I, well, I don't, that's what I don't know. I think so. But since the dog showed up. Yeah, because to, to build the... Seems like it would take some like time. That, it would take some time. So, so okay, because one of the other questions is, yeah. the dog at the beginning walked into a room with a shadow, yeah. a is silhouette that of a figure. 
I don't know. That's a great point. Yeah, we don't. Because he's been building it from the helicopter parts. So every time that's right, he's running around, or you see something running. Oh, that's, that's a good. Him. That's so. So yeah. maybe so he was an alien. Yeah. Oh, this is a good point. It's certainly possible. It's possible. You well, can this make is the case. What's, well, yeah. but the other thing too is um, we've already had uh, uh, other people be aliens. Yeah. So it could have been one of these other people who was an alien. Sure. Like we're gonna find out that Palmer. We don't know when Palmer gets infected. Right. He could have been down there with Blair building the helicopter too. Yep. We. I don't know. Yeah. Um, okay. <laughs> There's a whole other movie where they're all building the helicopter. These <laughs> they just go like, all right, let's get out of here. <laughs> they're trying to sneak um, away. So he sends, uh, I forget who it is. He sends one of the guys to go, you go back into the place. Where yeah. are you going? We're going up to my shack because when I was there earlier, I did not leave the light on. Yeah. And his shack, which is sort of like kind of a, uh, you know, like the tower mm-hmm. sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And so they go off towards this tower with light on. This seems also really scary. <laughs> yeah. um, and we go back inside and 45 minutes have passed and Childs is looking up at the shack and the light is off. Yeah. And they decide time to close all the doors and board them up. And man, they start boarding up the doors and McCready and uh, TK Knowles is outside. Yep. And we don't know what has happened to them. And uh, Vance, who's the big guy or North, is it Norris? Maybe it's Vance, it's Vance Norris. Maybe mm-hmm. that's his name. Anyway, he, when he's boarding up the door, then this thing happened that you mentioned before, yeah. which he sort of grimaces in pain. And immediately we're like, oh, nope, dude, dude. <laughs> alien, alien. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and in comes Nulls. He makes it back. Obviously really cold. Because what they say is yeah. nobody can live out there. Right. I mean, the storm is so, it's 40 degrees below. is really bad up there. Nulls yeah. comes back in. They say, where's McCready? He says, I cut him loose. Yeah. Because Nulls also found the torn up yeah. clothes and he's like mccready is the alien yeah um and they go <laughs> you know we have a sort of major oh shit yeah i'll um, start flipping out yep yeah. and, and and i think too for us we go i think i i this is the moment i do start to suspect yeah, yeah. mccready okay like oh what what could have happened here right then they hear a window break and they go oh no the storage room well first steve before the window breaks which mm. i love is this moment of the door handle oh you're right right the door handle thing is so great because it builds the horror of like this thing is trying to get in. And the fact that he's yeah. not knocking on the door saying like, hey, let me in, let me in. He's just twisting the handle over and over and over again. It uh, keeps these guys in the state of mind of like, this guy is this guy is the alien because he's not saying anything. Yeah. Right? So that when, uh, when he bursts through the window, it's believable to these guys to think that Kurt Russell is an alien because he didn't say anything. But the reason he probably didn't speak is because like you said, it's cold as shit out there. Yeah. Opening your mouth too much it'll get into your lungs it could freeze you right anything could happen yeah i've never i've never been in anything remotely that cold yeah, yeah. like i've been in below zero well i've been to those titanic exhibits and put my <laughs> face on the iceberg that was <laughs> fuck all that yeah that, that, it's supposed to be how cold the the water actually was that night oh yeah. holy shit dude yeah so no. yeah no so the the window breaks yeah he's in the storage room uh childs gets the axe um yeah <laughs> you see all the actors kind of step back because he is swinging that thing like crazy. Yeah. The shot of Kurt Russell in the storage room, half frozen, yes. clutching a thing of dynamite <laughs> and a torch is amazing. It's cla- that's classic. And his performance is really good. Oh, yeah. Of like completely physically destroyed by mm-hmm. the cold. Yeah. Shivering, but also still like. Anyone messes with me and the whole camp goes. Come on, child. Burn me. Put those torches on the floor and back off. 
Because again, in addition to having multiple flamethrowers, we obviously have to have a lot of dynamite yeah. at this uh, research station. Yeah. Um, research is very exciting. They're clearly blowing holes yeah. and shit. Yeah. 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 So he makes them put the flamethrowers down. And David yeah. Keith uh, like un, unscrews the top and blows the fire right. out, and then just you thinking there's a little bit of peace, then Nalls and uh, uh, Norris jump uh, Kurt Russell, right. and they they you think he's gonna get subdued, and then Kurt Russell throws him off, and that's when uh, Norris just completely shuts down right. physically. Yeah, looks like he's having a heart attack, right? And then they run over, and there's like, oh, he's not breathing, he's not breathing. Right. They put him on a table, yep, and, and, and now McCready is is wearing a flamethrower, yeah. holding yeah. dynamite and a torch. <laughs> this motherfucker's gonna stay alive. No Doc comes; it's... they get Doc up, who had been tied up. Yeah, they bring him in. They call for a defibrillator. Yeah. Now, here's the thing: I love this scene, man. We know something is going to happen. Sure, something, but it is impossible that any <laughs> human ever, I think, could know what is going to happen. We put the defibrillator, the paddles on him, clear shock, boom. We go, oh, nope, still no pulse. Shock oh, him again. Yes. His hands go down. Oh. The whole chest cavity opens up with teeth. Teeth! And chops off the end of Doc's arms. Oh, <laughs> God. It is, I think it might be one of the the best sort of shocking moments I yes. can think of in film. One of the greatest uh, scare moments, absolutely. Because yeah. you do not see that coming. No, no. Who, who could ever see that coming? Right. Because you've seen what it can do, but it has to be obvious when it's doing what it's doing. In this moment, it has it's... internally turned this thing, turns this human's chest into a fucking jaw. Essentially a jaw, essentially a, a bear trap for yeah. a chest. And and takes the arm takes the uh, half the guy's arms off of both both of us. It's amazing. Um, it's a couple things about this. The actor uh, playing Norris was is there, yeah, and had to be lying down, strapped into a harness, essentially for ten or twelve hours. <laughs> and there really wasn't anything they could. And I don't know how they dealt with like wow. peeing and stuff like that. Yeah, um, I'd have to pee. I mean, it just and that and that the first take, yeah, didn't go well. And then it was, you know, four hours of reset, you know? I mean, just brutal. Uh, the Doc's arms are made out of jello. Yeah. Um, that's how they did that. <laughs> and I forget what the, the bone stuff was. And then what we're going to see is just some insane, crazy monster stuff that yeah. kind of belies descrip- description. I mean, it's... It, the alien comes out of the stomach. Yes. Um, the stretching head on the table yeah. as it's separating apart <laughs> and weird tentacles are coming out. Yeah, man. And by the way, one of the things that, so they, they're, they're, they're doing all this. Some of this is done separately somewhere else yeah. when they're just doing the effect. And they're doing the stretching head. And I guess there's like a, uh, a fumes emitted by the chemicals they've used to make the stretching rubber oh, really? stuff. <laughs> and then someone says, well, in order to match the shot, they've just fired the flamethrower. And so there's fire in the room. So we should put fire in the background. So they go, okay. So they get like a, like, basically it's like, you know, on the inside of gas barbecues, there's like the metal tube yeah. that the flames come out of. Yeah, they have sure. basically that with gas and they light it. And there are these fumes, and there's like a ball of fire. Holy you shit. You know, because they just didn't think about the fact that the fumes being put out by the right. chemicals they used in this thing were flammable. Yeah, and it's really scary. Jesus. <laughs> um, yeah, but that stre- I, I, the stretching headshot is just really disturbing. It's amazing. Me. Yeah. Um, yeah, this stuff is really good. Yeah. And McCready torches everything. Yeah. Um, and the head has separated from the body and pulls itself 
over around the room with its tongue. But this is this is what's great about this moment, Steve, for me watching it again. Is this thing wants to live? No matter what it yeah, takes, absolutely, it has this incredible desire to live and, and powers to adapt that are yes, yes. But it's that it's the, that's why you almost respect it at the same time as you're being scared out of your fucking mind by it. Because what adds to the horror is its unquenchable desire to live. It will do whatever oh, yeah. it takes to live. What's funny is and that scares the shit I, out I, of this you. This sounds weird. I don't find that, like, the head and the yeah. spider legs pop out. Yeah. That doesn't scare me exactly. Well, it scares me in the... For me, it scares me in the way that it's... This thing can't... It, it will do whatever it has to do. Right. But it's not like... So, I'm more scared in the moments of anticipation of things mm. happening. And the teeth in the stomach are sh- fucking shocking. Yeah, really. But now, once it becomes full monster, I'm kind of going, oh, look at that. Wow. Right. You know, it, like, the thing I would relate it to, it, which is a much bigger budget film mm-hmm. but like it sprouts the spider legs and is sort of skittering around yeah as compared to the in aliens where they're in the infirmary and they're mm. trapped with a face hugger right that is way scarier that oh absolutely is so much scarier right than this is this is more like look at the fun silly monster it's not not silly that's not what yeah, i want to say. say silly not silly but i mean it's like a weird free but like oh wow look at that thing right but you have to create the right monster and its characteristics for the right movie agree like yeah. that skittering around thing wouldn't work as well in the thing no i like that it's the slow dread the slow build of this entire movie yeah is helped by having an alien like this which is why they don't let him get away with just sprouting tentacles out of its head and, and it escapes yeah. Right. And I think in Alien, it would have escaped. Like, like the thing when it bursts out of John Hurt's stomach in the original Alien right. escapes. But this thing tries to escape. And you have this great comic relief moment where these two guys turn and one guy goes, You've got to be fucking kidding. And that's it's it's exactly it's awesome. how you would, somebody would respond in a group of men. One would turn and see this thing go, You got to be fucking kidding me. Yeah. And that's brilliant. And one design element that I sh- just have to mention for yeah. those of you who haven't seen the film is I love that the head is upside down yes. on the spider yes. body. It is just so weird looking. Yeah. And they torch that thing. Yeah, they do. Um, and now we're back. Okay, we're going to go, we're safe from that thing. Yeah. Still pretty freaked out at who else is an alien. Right. And. We're going to do this uh, blood test, and we get into this room. Oh, this is, this is my favorite scene in the movie. It's a fantastic scene. Yep. Um, and McCready wants to do the blood test, and he's got a revolver in his hand. And we have seen uh, this started during the uh, medical scene where they were doing the defibrillator, yeah. that there was um, medical tools on a table, and someone people were looking down at the... Clark, I think, is looking down at the scalpel. Mm-hmm. And then we see... A scalpel in someone's hand. At first, I don't think we know quite whose it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And holding the scalpel uh, and hiding it from everybody else. Mm-hmm. And McCready with the gun. Yep. And then I think you realize that it is Clark, in fact, that yes. has the scalpel. Yep. And McCready is going to force everyone to do this blood test. And by the way, Clark's on edge already, which we didn't touch on, because uh, for Brimley's character, the doctor has also gone down and killed all the dogs with an Oh, axe. that's right. And so you get the feeling that Clark was the trainer of these dogs, was in charge of these dogs. Right. They were his dogs. Yeah. And so he's already on edge about everything else. Now he's lost all his dogs. So in this moment... Well, and he might very well be an alien. He might very... Right, exactly. We have no idea. Um, and Childs, uh, Keith David's like, you're going to have to kill me yes. rather than do a blood test. Yes. He ain't tying me up. Then I'll have to kill you, Childs. Then kill me. 
I mean it. And there's a long moment where finally Giles like, I think you are going to kill yeah, me. Okay. And at that moment, Clark attacks. Yeah. I guess you do. With the blade, with the scalpel at McCready, and McCready shoots him right in the head. Square in the head, dude. Yeah. And by the he, way, he so. Him. Yeah, and kills him. And it happens very, very fast. It does. And it's very, very close. And that's a quarter load blank in the gun. And they were really scared. Oh, shit. And so for those of you who don't know, people tend to think, oh, I'm shooting blanks, therefore right. they're harmless. Nothing that is comes not, out. Yeah, that's not true. That is not true. Mm-hmm. There is an explosion. Yeah. I mean, there's the very famous story of John Eric Hexum. Do you remember this? Yes, of course. Uh, he was on a TV show called Voyagers. Voyagers. Yeah. And he, there was a prop gun, and he put it to his head and pulled the trigger with blanks and think, as a joke. Yeah. And he killed him. He killed him. Yeah. Same thing with Brandon Lee. Yeah. Well, on the set of The Crow. And yeah. so he died. It was a prop uh, there's a prop gun. I think it's because yeah. that was, that was. A, I think the gun was proper improperly loaded. Right, it wasn't that. It wasn't right, that close. Right. But they were really scared, and everyone was fine. But it was a scary because it had to happen really fast, sure. and the gunshot had to go off fairly close, but not too close. Right. And figuring out exactly what the distance is is a little scary. Um, so now he's dead, and we're going to draw a little bit of everybody's blood, and we're going to put it in these. When Clark attacks, and I like this, Steve is after he kills him. There's a moment of silence. Like oh, these yeah. guys are like. Not because, oh, fuck, Kurt means business. It's like, oh, fuck, one of us is actually dead right in front of us in that way. Like, it's, it's that real um, extension of the suspicion is this level now. That well, he will shoot first in any situation now. And well, that's it's le- and, it's next level. You know, you might have protected yourself from an alien... You might have been in self-defense because the guy was going to kill you. Yeah. But you, you might very well have just killed an innocent guy. Yeah, which we find out. It's, in fact, it's true because we're going to do this blood yep. test. Mm-hmm. We take blood from everybody. Um, and we put it in these little vials and we're heating up a wire with mm-hmm. a flamethrower. And we stick it in because Kurt Russell believes that, how he's figured this out, I have no idea. But that <laughs> every single cell of this alien wants to live. Has yep. its own desire, independent desire to live. And since it can do all these crazy transformations, if we hit it... If we threaten one of those sales, they will do something. Which is logic. I think it's great logic. Sure. I think it's great logic. Oh, it, it is. It is. It's like <laughs> you don't have a whole lot of evidence from this, but that's okay. It, the movie is, the, it's, it's all good. They call him hypothesis for a reason to test him out. <laughs> and, and he does. He does. So, and the, one of the first ones we test is Clark's blood. Yeah. He wasn't an alien. No, he wasn't. So man. Kurt Russell just shot a guy. That's what Child says to him. Yeah. He just committed murder. Yep. Yeah. Uh, we go through some more. We really think. Uh, let's see who are the what's the order we do it because let's get this let's <laughs> yeah, get this get right. right it's not windows no. so he gives windows a flamethrower yeah doc was normal yes sadly also dead yes uh clark we just said and then he goes to test palmer's blood <laughs> and this is great because you have no suspicion of palmer right palmer's been making smart ass comments the whole time palmer when it looks at the head crawling says you got to be fucking kidding me you just have no yeah. concept it's going to be palmer yeah and then it's palmer and then it's palmer <laughs> <laughs> and he puts the red hot you know wire into the yeah. uh into the petri dish and yeah. this weird thing shoots out it's like a jack in a box man. yeah <laughs> and by the way that's uh, a fake hand that kurt russell is holding the petri dishes so the effect is loaded in the arm oh that's how they did, oh, that's brilliant. How they did that yeah um and as soon as the the we, the blood hits the ground and it starts heading back towards palmer 
Um, and the you know, I love simple practical effects. Yeah. The the thing that's making the blood move is it's on a slanted table, so it's just it's just gravity. <laughs> <laughs> that's how, that's smart effects. Brilliant. And then Palmer, who is oh, tied up, starts to mutate. This is so great. Dude. It is craziness what happens now. Well, because once again, this is believable. Guys are tied to him, flipping the fuck out yeah. at the top of their lungs. Kurt Russell is all of a sudden now his flamethrower doesn't work. And then the other guy, uh, who's Windows, trying, Windows, trying to make the the the, uh, the uh, radio work. He's he's like he chokes. He, he chokes right yeah, because he's he scared. And someone is going to choke in situations like you know. He's never been to every time. Every time that a crazy mutating alien has attacked me, I have choked. <laughs> right? I'm really so sorry. Someone's about this. going to choke. But then the floor moves right, and the thing it's oh, like it's almost right. like something out of a out of an amusement park. And then the jacks the where they're sitting, the set of chairs are sitting jacked back into the ground. No, it and is then crazy. It becomes what it becomes, and it yeah. steps out. And and Kurt Russell's yelling at Windows to to set it on fire, and he chokes. And yeah. that thing grabs him by the head. Its head splits open once again. Yep. Take a body part, turning into jaws. Grabs the head and then starts swinging that fucking body no, all around crazy. the room. It's awesome. Every, it's totally crazy. Finally, Kurt Russell gets his flamethrower to work. Yeah. And one of the things I was thinking about is like you have to remember this is all practical effects. If yes. You're seeing flame. This is flame. Yeah. And shooting off flamethrowers in a small room seems like really scary. And the actors are everyone's fairly close yeah. to what's happening here. Yeah. yeah trust. Um, yeah, it, it, there's this moment, by the way, where Palmer ends up on the ceiling, and like this, yeah. like crazy shit happens. It's wicked man. lights him on fire. He runs out into the snow right. on fire, um, and then we have to kill Windows now. Yeah, so we torch him too. Right. Oh, <sighs> who's starting to shiver and become probably what he's going to become. Yeah. And so that's why the oh, and by fire. the way, when he, when when uh, Palmer goes out in the snow and he's mm-hmm. on fire, and then Kurt Russell throws the, the dynamite yeah. stick at him. Apparently, that explosion was really close to him and knocked him way off his feet, and it was. Kurt Russell? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. He said that was he said that was the in the commentary track I listened to like that was the most intense explosive that you know that mm-hmm. he had ever felt in his acting career, which wow. he's been around a lot of explosions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that one was bad. Is the commentary track him and John Carpenter? Yeah. Oh, it's a got, good one too. I got to listen to that one. It's good. They're fun. Yeah, I would definitely um, listen to that one. then we burn windows, we go through some more lab tests. Yeah. Nalls is fine. Charles is fine. Uh Moffat is the only one left tied up. Oh god. I and we've suspected him for a while. Yes. He's fine, too. Um, and, and by the way, I love that Moffat's still tied up. Everyone now has a flamethrower all pointing at him. Tessin, he's fine. And then his line is great. Do you remember it's, what it is? It's brilliant. Uh, I know that you gentlemen have been through a lot. But I'd like what for you to untie. I'd rather not spend the rest, the rest of, of my... <laughs> the, yeah, the rest of my... Tied to this fucking chair! Yeah. <laughs> It's great. It's fucking great. And then it fades to black. Why? Yep. But you got to savor that entire scene. That's why it fades to black. You yeah. have to take a moment. So it seems like we're pretty good. We just, everyone that's alive is fine. Sure. Oh, wait. What about Blair? Right. <sighs> so they go out to, to give Blair the test and they tell Childs uh, to burn Blair. Yeah. Uh, uh, if they, um, Blair's door is open. Yeah. Uh, the noose is hanging in the middle of the room. How did he get out? They look at the floorboards, pull up the floorboards. Apparently, there's a tunnel underneath the, <laughs> the tool shed. I guess you have to go down. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's a white person horror film. White yeah. people always got to go to the danger. <laughs> I know. Got to walk down in there. <laughs> um, we go into the tunnel, and we find that Blair's been building this spaceship, as yeah. we mentioned before. Yeah. Uh, and we're back in the base, and we have this POV shot. 
where the camera is sort of moving through the hallways mm-hmm. and John Carpenter's music. Yeah. And there's been some really good Ennio Mor- Morricone movie music throughout as well. Absolutely. That's orchestral and really good. Mm-hmm. But John Carpenter movie music goes with John Carpenter movies as yeah. far as I'm concerned. I agree with you. Um, and so we get the sense something's going on. And one thing we don't see is Childs. Yeah. We don't know where he is. Uh, the power goes out. And we hear that six hours from now, it's going to be 100 below. And this is where we really know, like, oh, no one's, we're not getting out of this. Yeah. There's, we're not, probably not surviving this. And, and this is what Kurt Russell says, which is interesting, is that whatever we do, we can't let the thing freeze again. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I, I, it seems, it just, I, there's always like moments where I was like, you seem to know, I don't know if that's, that's, is that make sense? But it's fine. Yeah. That's what they want to do. Um, and maybe they're just going to, and this is where they decide, let's burn the whole place down. Yeah. But apparently we have tons of dynamite and gasoline mm-hmm. and we're just going to wipe the whole place out. Um, if we're not getting out of here alive, we're not getting out of here alive, but neither is that thing. Yeah. Okay. They blow up the spaceship. They drive like a tractor through a wall, yeah. light that shit on fire. Everyone is now wearing dynamite. Mm-hmm. Still going, where's Childs? Yeah. What happened to him? They're pouring gas everywhere, which they're lighting. Uh, they're throwing dynamite everywhere, Molotov cocktails. They go down into the basement, and there's steam and dripping water. And they notice, uh, and I love this moment, it's like uh, where Moffat says the generator is gone. And, yeah. and, he, and he goes, any way we can fix it? And it's like, no, it's gone. <laughs> yeah. That's a great, great moment. Uh, and we're setting dynamite around to blow the place up. We have the t- classic dynamite plunger, mm-hmm. uh, which Kurt Russell is setting up. And here's again the thing about scary movies is anytime someone starts moving through a space and they don't look at the whole space, yeah. we are scared. Yeah. You know, like one of the basic rules to scary movies should be I mean, this I guess goes to like scream and stuff. Yeah. As soon as you walk into a room, you should look everywhere. Yes, absolutely. Ceiling, floor, mm-hmm. all the walls, take a full 360 around. Don't walk in with your back to half the room, right. which is exactly what Moffat does. Yeah. Walks into a room, just distracted by some other stuff. Yeah. Who who comes? Who appears? Blair. Blair. Well, he's he's laying the wire down. Right. And the whole time, it's great the way it's done because you see his light swinging left to right as he's moving the stuff, and you're like, "Where is it? Where is it? Where is it?" And then he looks up, and then you have Blair in the light, yeah. which is great. Just enough light to look menacing as fuck. And then he puts his hand in. Uh, Moffat's mouth and it's just it's horrific um, it, it, and it's where his face skin is stretching mm-hmm. and John Carpenter said man Wilfred that was such great acting what were you thinking about when you did that and Wilfred Brimley said oh, I was just thinking about picking up my laundry <laughs> or doing my laundry <laughs> doing his laundry yeah right of course <laughs> <laughs> it's nothing to him. And then there's this weird shot where he's dragging Moffat away with yeah. like the skin face stretched. And it is really, really weird. <laughs> um, and then um, uh, who else is left with him? Is, Nalls. Is, Nalls. Nalls. T.K. Carter. Yeah, he sees the. Yeah. He catches the last glimpse of the body as it's moving past him and then walks forward, calling uh, Moffat's name, and then silence. He's, yeah. And then Kurt Russell. And again, we should establish some rules. Yeah, yeah, you think. <laughs> like. Uh, don't go off alone. If you're going to go somewhere, let's talk to everybody. Right. <laughs> but he doesn't. And nope. now there's this moment where McCready is alone. Yeah. And realizes he's alone. Yes. How's it coming in there? I said, how's it? This is a scary scene. Yep. This is really tense. And he he lights a stick of dynamite and holds it. 
By the way, one thing that stressed me out throughout the whole movie, there's so many scenes where he's holding those big, powerful flares, yeah. which apparently were really smoky and dripped weird liquid, and you easily burn your hands on them because wow. they get so hot. They don't last that long either. Right. They're so powerful. And and Kurt Russell has that beautiful mane of hair, yeah, he does. and he's holding those flares really close <laughs> to his head. And now he's holding a lit stick of dynamite, and suddenly the whole floor like wheels up at him comes towards him which the way they did it is they built the set six feet off the ground built a track under the set so that they could roll something underneath to knock out all the floorboards as it came forward wow that's fantastic yeah it's really interesting how they do it um and big huge now we're getting crazy town (laughs) tentacles coming out from a big hole in the ground tentacle grabs the plunger and pulls it under oh man and then the monster in all its glory. Yeah. Wow. And it's a little bit Wilford Brimley. Yeah. A little it, bit dog. A little bit dog. Yeah. Weird tentacles, claws, mm-hmm. teeth, mouth, eyes, all, all just, uh, it's a lot. It's fantastic. He says, John Carpenter says it took 50 people to operate this. Not a surprise. Yeah. It's so huge. Huge. McCready does a beautiful roll, uh, tucks and rolls, grabs some dynamite, throws it at the monster. <laughs> <laughs> apparently they spent a long time they knew he had to have a line yeah <laughs> they spent a long time debating what it's going to be I love that they come up with and fuck you too yeah, exactly and fuck you too is sometimes great. a simple way is the best way yeah <laughs> and the whole place blows up yeah yeah um, finally um, he's outside the burning building and who does he run into but Childs with a flamethrower yeah it's a great last scene it's great and they sit down <laughs> And there's this just kind of a conversation between the two of them. Yep. Both of them suspect the other one could be an alien. Mm-hmm. But and and we don't really get to know. No. You the only one who made it. Not the only one. Did you kill it? Where were you, Charles? Thought I saw Blair. I went out after. Him. Got lost in the storm. <laughs> Fire's got the temperature up all over the camp. Won't last long, though. Neither will we. How will we make it? Maybe we should. If you're worried about me. If we've got any surprises for each other. I don't think we're in much shape to do anything about it. Well, what do we do? Why don't we just wait here for a little while? See what happens. Which do you know? Do you understand? This is why I love the film. Sometimes, ambiguous endings or film are amazing. Agreed. And this is one of those. The fact that you don't know who, if they're an alien or who's an alien, and it's ironic that Kurt said the last thing we need to do is let this thing freeze again, and 100 degrees is below. coming away six hours from now. 100 degrees below zero is coming six hours from now, which means they're both going to freeze. Right. So that thing may still, and that's the thing that was amazing, brother. Is I don't, I, I'm, I give it up to the Hollywood gods 
that they never made a sequel. It's shocking to me. Because uh, I think a sequel would destroy this thing. The fact that it took 30, what, 34 years to get a Blade Runner sequel, 35 years to get right. a Blade Runner sequel, I'm incredibly happy about that. I've, I saw 2049. I loved it. So for me, it took that long for them to do a sequel to Blade Runner. If they ever do a sequel to Thing, Kurt Russell's still alive. Right. I, I would love for them to have a shot at doing, or Denis Villeneuve to do a Thing uh, sequel. That would be awesome. Or Guillermo del Toro. Like something where it, it's either Keith, it's Keith David in the end who was an alien, and then boom, what happens after that? I, yeah, it's, it's one of but the... The movie exists so much in its own world. Yeah, you're right. You know, and it's ambiguity because what you would have to do is explain shit. Yes, you would. You know, like that's kind of what sequels do. You would. You know, the, the, uh, let's talk. So, so, and what's interesting is that this is a movie where, as we said, it didn't do that well. Yeah. And, but over time, it is one of those movies that people have watched over and over and Mm -hmm. over again. And I think part of it is the great, just great ensemble cast. Yes. Part of it is the great special effects. Mm-hmm. And a big part of it, I think, is this isn't really, doesn't look like other movies. No. You know what I mean? Like the all the snow and the, mm-hmm. I mean, it just is really, it fits into its own kind of world. I would put this in the box with The Fly, Cronenberg's The Fly. Yeah. And I would put this in the box with Blade Runner, Blade Runner as well. Mm. There are these films that came out at like the early 80s time that still, uh, hold up and still affect and still transcend the genre even 35 years later 30 years later because what they did was ahead of their time and classic in a way well and the fly in particular because yeah. both of those are remakes of classic monster movies yes um and that they that are then taken to a it's it's actually a great comparison because mm. Both the fly and the thing take what was sort of a cheesy monster concept, yeah. and then add this human emotion to it yeah. because you really feel for what's happening in the fly. Right. I mean, the fly isn't just that it's scary. In, right. in fact, the best parts of the fly to me are just all the relationship and mm-hmm. watching Jeff Goldblum go through that process, mm-hmm. and it's handled with so much more seriousness. Yeah, and they twist it around in the fly too because in the original with Vincent Price. He's a sympathetic character in, right. in terms of like, he's like the scientist who's pursuing the situation and it happened to him an accident and then he's starting to become this thing and he's like, feel sorry for me, feel sorry for me. And then when you see the human, when he is at the end, Help he's the human me. brain, oh my God, yeah. that was insane. And then he kills it with a rock, right? Yeah. That broke my heart. Like it, it emotionally moved me when I remember seeing it as a kid. Right. This Seth Brundle that he's doing, Jeff Goldblum is doing in The Fly is a completely different person. Arrogant, complicated, yes. cynical. Yeah. And what makes him fantastic for that version of the yeah. plot. Yeah. And well, then in the end, sympathetic because he gives Gina Davis the option to kill him. It's yeah. fantastic. Well, and, Cron- and, Cron- and it's Cronenberg. Yeah. You know, and, and, Cron- and I'm glad this came up because Cronenberg and Carpenter are very different filmmakers. It's true. But they're also both interested in genre mm-hmm. and aren't embarrassed about genre yes you know what i mean they're like no no I, this is what i like yeah. i like to explore and that and, and 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 in a way this is kind of what the cinephiles is about which is yeah. not which is not to disrespect any kind of movie right. is that you can make great films in any of these areas and the thing is a perfect example of yeah. one yeah. that that goes kind of beyond genre mm-hmm. and, and it's funny too is like you can if you like the monster creature, bloody, scary stuff. Yeah. There's, there's nothing like the thing. Right. Um, and if you like the tension, who can we trust stuff? There's nothing like the thing. Right. You know, 
and there's some great jump scares and some great filmmaking and you get to get watch all of these character actors just doing their job at the top of the game Mm -hmm. and you get kurt russell who i love so for me it's funny it's not a movie i've watched over i've certainly seen it several times but i haven't watched it over and over and over again but every time i see it i go man this is really good yeah um so those are actually kind of my final thoughts okay so so what are yours my final thoughts this is a film but once again we've talked about this a number of times now it is it elevates the genre it takes the genre and the elements of the genre that you recognize you've seen before going all the way back to the 50s in black and white You've seen these beats before in sci-fi films, and it takes it to a whole other level, and it makes it about what... And, and this is really interesting, what Steve mentioned, what Carpenter mentioning AIDS. I think any disease, bubonic plague, what have you, we are naturally afraid of things we don't understand. Sure. And when, when we are confronted with the first time, we have to grasp its existence, and grasping its existence, we think the worst possible thing about it and so we react accordingly to that and that's what you see here in the film this thing is legitimately something to be afraid of but in the end it is just trying to get home and it's doing whatever it can to get home and i think that's that adds another piece to this element much like the unknowable michael myers the thing is unknowable too because we don't know its actual motivation we don't know where it came from other than outer space we don't know what kind of species it is if there's multiple things like this if there's a leader like why it even came and crash land on earth we don't know anything this could have been a guy going for a joyride and then crashes on earth because his because his engine broke sure. or something like so it's just, it can be as simple as that and it's just trying to get the fuck out of the off earth any way possible and if people would just leave it alone it might actually get its accomplish it and get the fuck off earth and not kill anybody but what's brilliant about this also is it exposes what happens when people are uh uh together and experiencing fear at the same time how we no matter how strong our connections are we can start to turn on each turn other. on each other yeah. and i think that's a human thing and that's what i enjoy about the best of the of this genre of films the best of them do that the best of them show you the human condition how it can react and how it can be brave but also how it can be cowardly as yeah. well and how we can turn on each other no matter what our connection or time spent with each other is when it comes to survival whatever it takes and just like that creature humans are the same way and I think it's brilliant about the film that's great it's funny as you were talking i just yeah. suddenly had this image of taking the thing mm-hmm. and et and swapping the aliens <laughs> <laughs> so you'd have elliot and drew barrymore and they have this thing in the closet and these tentacles come out and it takes over drew barrymore yeah. and it attacks the dog and all right and then and then have kurt russell with a flamethrower chasing et around antarctica <laughs> i think these would be amazing movies phone home phone home phone just home. want to phone home that <laughs> would be brilliant all right well, it's a hell of a movie <laughs> well anyone who wants to somehow put that together when you know Please. You know, please do it and send us a trailer. I would like it to be E.T. and Kurt Russell at the end of the movie just staring at each other. (laughs) Who's going to kill each other first? Um, So (laughs) that's what we think about the thing. Of course, we always want to hear what you think. You can visit us on our Facebook page. Please leave your comments there. It's at The Cinephiles. That's C-I-N-E-F-I-L-E-S. You can subscribe to us on iTunes, on Stitcher, on Google Play, on YouTube. We've got a lot more subscribers on YouTube. It's great. We love reading your comics there. Thank you. Uh, As... 
Uh, at the beginning of the show, we already talked about Patreon on our mm-hmm. website, so I'm going to skip them. But okay. I am going to say that you can reach me, as always, on Twitter, at SR Morris. John, where can they reach you? You guys can always reach me at the Roca Says, R-O-C-H-A, on Twitter and on Instagram. Uh, of course, uh, the Top 10 Show on SK Plus Podcast Channel every Tuesday. Uh, Outlaw Nation every Thursday on the SK Plus Podcast Channel. And start watching Collider. I am They're giving me more and more opportunity to host shows and be on shows. And so I pop up on all the shows now, TV Talk, Movie Talk, Jedi Council, Mailbag, everything that they do. They're heroes every once in a while. Uh, it's been a joy and a, and, a, and a great pleasure to be a part of the Collider family officially. And so if you want to watch more of my stuff, go there and subscribe. And you'll see me pop up every once in a while. And as long as one of us is not taken over by aliens, we will see you next time on The Cinephiles. Nice buns. Soft, fluffy, and ultra-low net carbs. Discover Hero Bread, the delicious ultra-low net carb bread with incredible taste and texture. Hero Bread has zero grams of sugar and is under 100 calories per serving. Plus, high in fiber with 5 to 10 grams of protein per serving. Order from Hero.co now and get 10% off your first purchase with promo code AH10. That's 10% off with code AH10. H-E-R-O dot C-O.